I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Space trash. Trash in space. Space trash. Lifestyles. The rich and uranus. Space trash. Celebrities, they're trash. But the astrology can help us understand Transmission incoming. <laughs> Greetings, Trashlings, and welcome back to another episode of Space Trash. Lifestyles of the rich and Uranus. And I'm Sarah Armour. I'm Molly Mulshine, and I have a I actually have a spooky story that I've been saving up. Oh my god, lay it on me. Okay. So I don't know if I ever told you before, but the apartment next to me is abandoned. All of the windows are black. There's like no one there, like a hundred percent abandoned. And it always creeped me out. Cause I was like, what the fuck? Cause it's right next to us. So we went to our other neighbors on the other side house last night to meet them. And I was like, do you guys know anything about the abandoned apartment next to us? And they were like, oh, it's not abandoned. What? Oh my God, Molly. Wait, an wait, old, wait. An old man. You're telling me that there. the windows are blacked out. Blacked out. No, there's no sounds that can be heard. It looks like Halloween Town. Like it looks oh. like Jack Skellington lives there. No sounds. Up. Apparently, there's an old man that lives there. People like rarely ever see him. And sometimes when you walk by, he opens the. Le- and I'm whispering because he can probably hear me. Oh he, my apparently. God. He opens the letterbox sometimes because we have those Harry Potter letterboxes because they don't have, you know, they don't have mailboxes in the UK. Oh, how charming. How it's really funny. Like <laughs> when my, I have friends from Scotland and when they came to visit the US, they were like, oh my God, it's so hilarious how you guys have all these mailboxes. Wait, that is, so wait, so basically it's just like they're making a mess of everyone's apartment. Like they're just basically throwing the mail on the floor for you to pick up. Yeah. They just have the slit in the <laughs> door. Yeah. And like. I think it's also because all their houses are a lot closer together. Like a lot of them are like townhouses, but yeah. So apparently there's, oh my God, there's somebody in there. There's somebody in there milling around and apparently he's nocturnal and he is really old and has a really long beard. What? And Wait. I'm like, I, I wish I didn't know this. I felt 100%. I felt better when it was abandoned. And especially now that it's spooky season, I'm like, I don't need this information. You know what? Best case scenario, you know what, what I could see happening because it's not only spooky season, but as as you've been posting quite a bit, it also is sort of like getting into Christmas season. I feel like this could be the kind of thing like remember in Home Alone where there was like that mm. scary man, but then it turns out like he just like lost his wife and like Kevin and the scary man became like pretty bonded, like close friends. Like I feel like maybe this guy is just going to he could be part of your like Christmas miracle, actually. Well, apparently he has a Santa beard. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, my, maybe he's Santa. Yeah, and he works at night. Okay, of course. Yo, you look like sort of, and he's blacking out the because actually he has like tons of tiny elves in there working yeah. overtime. Oh my god, he's Father Christmas. 
So we both are experiencing creepiness in the home because you've been finding (laughs) lizard cadavers all over your house, right? Not only lizard cadavers. Well, the lizard cadavers were kind of like, I honestly would be more weirded out if there weren't lizard cadavers. Because I know like for for our listeners, there were some missing lizards in here. And then at one point, a lizard played dead to me. And I was like, okay, it's just dead. I'll leave it there until later when I go collect it to burn it for my ritual at the moon. And then it was gone. I was like, that's funny. But I did find the two. So I did find two dead lizards that we will burn in the manual. But there is one big lizard walking around here somewhere that I cannot locate because I just I caught a glimpse of them. I was like, ah, right. I ran away. I found a snail in the kitchen the other day. That was a funny one. And then and then more than anything, the biggest sort of happenings this week for me here in West Palm Beach is that I uh, I was greeted very intimately with an opossum. And I thought that that was a one-time sort of like spirit messenger. You know, no. the irony is I looked up what the spirit spirit message of opossums are. Apparently they're very lucky and they represent like fertility and family. Apparently they're like real family men, the opossum. How nice. Yeah, but- right. They represent rabies. They represent fucking rabies. Well, and well, this is a misnomer. This is like, you know, we want to be really educated on this pod. We don't want to just, we don't want to slander the, the gross, you know, marsupials. Actually, they prevent having them around your home. It's almost like, I feel like the universe heard me saying, wow, there's all these critters in my house and there's bug. I'm sitting outside with the kitty and I'm getting bug, like eaten alive. Apparently they eat like critters they eat lizards they eat bugs and they are actually very it's rare that they get disease is is what i've googled so maybe it's maybe it's actually like an omen and it's about me just like you know really rethinking the preconceived notions that i have about disgusting you know animals and maybe people i don't know but vermin vermin the funniest thing though is that like okay so i was i'll I'll say the story quickly i was sitting outside with kitty friend and i brought out a little food for him and he was, he like ate a bite of it. And then, but at night he really comes alive because he chases the lizards and he chases moths and he's so cute. Right. So he was off like doing his thing. I was kind of watching him. I was videoing a little bit, just like going out, going hard on butterflies and moths. Right. And then I, he kind of disappears. And then I, I sort of feel him creeping behind me, but usually he's a little bit more social with me. I mean, he now like sleeps. I like slept outside the other night cause I couldn't leave him. He was like sleeping on my chest and I was like, I love you. I'll sleep with you. So, uh, I, I look behind me and for a second, I'm like, kitty friend. And then I see what it is. And it is not my kitty friend. And I cannot tell what it is. I thought for a minute, it was like a baby pig. Like that's kind of like what, what the body was like. And then as it kept walking, like silently, silently behind me, Ew. I saw the tail and the tail was like a giant rat tail. Right. And I'm talking like, I don't know how big opossums usually are. This motherfucker was like the size of a corgi. I'm not kidding. It like, a- like a chupacabra. What's that? It's like a mythical Mexican rodent. Oh my god, I have to look it up because, like, yeah, it 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 was it was like thick. This dude is a thick, 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 thick rodent, and then he he comes right behind my chair. He kind of makes eye contact with me for a second, and I go shoo shoo, and he just was like uh huh, and puts his head down and just walks towards the kitty food, like like right next to me, 
and and just starts going to fucking town and it's so loud and it's like snort it's like ew and i was paralyzed you happened to you texted me at like just the right time i guess you were like just getting up i was about to go to bed and i was like okay cool whatever we're about to say is fine but i'm freaking out and i sent you the you're like you got the original video of then what i posted online you texted me at that moment i was like i'm freaking out because i and then i'm looking at it eating and the the teeth are like these are like real chompers and then the claws are so i was just i didn't move a muscle all it I has could do like is human hands. That's what's so has, disgusting. It has like like Kylie Jenner hands because it's like got human hands, but then with like the long acrylics. Like it's not just yeah. like I get my nails done. I have cute little nails. It's like the kind of nails where you're like, how does she text with those things? Like literally, like the longest fingernails, the hands, and and the hairless tail. That's what really seals the uh-huh. disgustingness. Uh huh. And well, and, and the ugly the, ass face. I was going to say the face. I, I like a part of me. And, you know, when I did the research there, I guess there are, you know, kind of like people, some are cuter than others. Like apparently there are some cute opossums that maybe are just getting some, you know, more than the others. But this guy was like, definitely not on my opossum fuck list. I'll tell you that, like, not that cute, very huge. And honestly, if you ask me an emotional eater, you think that the cat is your familiar. Yeah. What if the opossum is also your familiar? Well, you, you know, Molly, it's really funny that you say Which that. for people who don't know, a familiar is like a witch's helper in the animal realm. Like Oscar is my familiar. Absolutely. No, Oscar is ab. Well, and okay. Did I tell you this? This is, I don't, this is a sentence you're not going to like, but familiars. So they're, they're basically like you, you've been like assigned. So you like know each other kind of before you meet and like you were there when Oscar was being born. Like that's so magical. But the thing that I, when I started doing research about familiars, what they said is that like in a not like creepy way, there's like a sexual component to it. Not necessarily that we're going to fuck Oscar yeah. or cutie friend, but that like, there's this deeper, like sort of like the fact that you were there for Oscar's birth would be like an example where there's like, there's sort of this higher level of psychic lovemaking going on between a person and their familiar, which is not literal. We don't need to fuck our animals, but it is just like Aww. that. There's this connection of like, like, like there's a bond the bondedness to a familiar and the witch so and it feels it feels a little bit more sensual or deep than it is just with a pet right like the fact that you were you literally helped like surrogate dog mom birth your son is well i was just there while the mom was in labor i didn't what are the odds and you laid her her head on the utero we were uterus to uterus while he was swimming in there if that's not so like I'm not talking about erotic like sex but like if that is not a sensual way to like know that that's your dog I don't know what okay sensual in terms of of or having to do with senses yes yeah it, it, but it's like intimately you know what I mean like other other having to do with senses and like th- there's like a deeper a, a deeper sort of energetic union that happens in that way right so no like when i'm again like i'm not diddling my cat you know and please do not that red rocket's gonna scare you. you're gonna get him neutered when he's old enough right but oh hell yeah like the, the red rocket is that's a that's a horrible thing i don't know if you like yeah i, I had a, a professor who had i had a professor who had this little like teacup chihuahua and he would bring it to class which was really cute but the first time that he ever brought it in, he would hold it like this and the chihuahua would be doing downward dog on his, on his forearm the whole time. It was an adorable oh. thing. Like he would just walk around with the chihuahua like that. But 
so the first day he brought it in, I was like, this chihuahua has had a boner all day. No. And, and it's being displayed because of the way the chihuahua likes to like kind of lay across his arm in downward dog for hours. So he would be standing at the top of the class at the front of the class. And the chihuahua had a raging boner and it (laughs) had its ass in the air leaning against him. So we could all see it. And I was like, that's interesting. I guess he brought it to class today because he had a vet appointment or something to like, Get his boner to fixed. Chop his dick off. <laughs> but then he would bring him a. He kept bringing him like once or twice a week, and he always had a boner. Wow, maybe that was like the professor's way of flexing, just being like, "Look, ladies, look, kids, I can't show you my boner, but look who's packing." Yeah, I was just like, it. It almost seemed like he had an infection because, like, when I went oh! to Cuba, there was a dog in Cuba that had a boner and like, cause there's a lot of feral dogs in Cuba and I, it was yeah. sad. Cause I was like, ew, it's dick is just always out. Cause it's so swollen and infected. This is disgusting. I'm sorry. But <laughs> so I thought, I thought like maybe this dog, my professor's dog had some sort of infection, but I think that it was just a personal preference that they were like, our dog is horny all the time and we're not going to get in his way. Wow. Well, very progressive parenting in a way. I guess it's better not to shame the dog. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we don't want anybody to have weird, you know, no, we don't. We want to shame our dogs into doing weird stuff when they're when we're not home. You know, we want to say, yeah, it's normal. Everyone's got a pee pee. But it was beautiful. So maybe they were like breeding him, you know, like he was a beautiful little like, like top of the line. Yeah, like he was like a like an actual right. Not like a dog, but he was a stud. Yeah. Yeah, I think Weird. that's a flex on your professor's behalf. And t- just to say, if this other possum, a possum, is my familiar, I will accept it lovingly, maybe more from afar. I don't know if I want to get that close again. But I do think it's kind of interesting because, like, if hypothetically these animals are here to help us to do connect to the other realms and witchcraft and telepathy and all of that, I feel like maybe the thing that it's trying to show me is like maybe my own shadow side because it's like, you know, Mm. I pretty instantly wanted to like reject that motherfucking possum. Right. And it was so interesting because when I did the poll, I actually didn't, I shared the poll results. First of all, it was the most voted upon poll I have ever done in my social media history. Nothing. It was, it was basically like, fuck yes, a possum or ah, a possum, like awesome, a possum or, or like, possum are scary, right? Fear the opossum, love the opossum. It was by the end of it, it was 50, 50 down the middle, almost perfect things. It was like 18 people voted, nine voted fear, nine voted cool. And I got tons of responses to the, like, what do you know about opossums? And it's so interesting. Do you think the people who voted that the opossum is awesome are trying to be hashtag not like other girls? No, first of all, it was actually a lot of men. Interesting. Hmm. And, and when they wrote in the comments, like, you know, what do you know about opossums? It was like, incredible. It was like all this incredible information about what I would think is like a disgusting, frightening, giant rodent, right? But they were like, no, they were like, they're very protective of their children. It's very rare that they would even want to connect with humans. The fact that this is like, this guy is so oh. close to you and obviously acknowledging you is like really meaningful. And then I look up the spiritual meeting and it's, I, I have screenshots. I'll send them to you. It's like, it's one of the most like blessed encounters in the spirit human realm. And so I'm like, oh, wow, maybe the point of the opossum, I totally love that thought. Like maybe the opossum's also my familiar and it's actually deepening my connection to spirit because it's not just like my cute, cuddly, Instagrammable kitty friend that I usurped from the neighbors. It's actually like I am a, I am dark and light and I am kitty and opossum. 
and maybe my neighbor is Santa. I think the neighbors. It's the only thing that would make sense. You told me that last week we got a user, which I love that people are using our podcast, a user question (laughs) about. Yeah, I I guess I should have said like a listener, someone in the fam, in the space trash fam, a trashling, a fellow trash. I like user. I like user. (laughs) So so, uh, there was a question and then there is a slight update because the girls are fighting. So tell me what the question was. Okay, so uh, Ellie, thank you for your very thoughtful question. She said, Refunny girl, do you think that they're going to make Beanie Feldstein's body into her nose? Like it's changing the whole premise, mm. but she said, you know what I mean? Like maybe it's a naive question, but because, because the, right, the nose was Barbara's thing and that's what they made sort of the, my nose, you know? Yes, I was thinking that, but I didn't know how to oh. articulate that. And that's that- what Ellie said. Ellie said, do you think that, and I, and I thought it was, I thought, I think so. I think it's a great thought. Right. But that's what I was getting at when I was like, and this is my own shit, obviously. I mean, all of this podcast is my own shit, but I do think that like having an ugly face is not ugly because I'm talking about myself right now. So having a face that you perceive as ugly is- Right, facial insecurity. Yeah, like having a not perfect face and having a not perfect body are two different things. Like when I mentioned that, so okay, if you had to choose, you can only have one perfect face or perfect body- what would you choose? Wow. That's such a hard, I think face me too, because yeah. you can't diet your face. I said this last week, you can't diet your face to look better. And yeah. the only like a beautiful, and a beautiful face, a beautiful face translates like, because, and also like for us, what we think of as like an imperfect body is like, that's, that's like what the media has done to us. But like I've dated right. And you're like, why do I like to date athletes? Because like they, they actually aren't like we need a fit girl too. Maybe they want some to work out with, but ultimately they're just like, I'm huge and I love curves and I have a big dick. So like the more meat, the, the more fun and easy and soft you are for me to lay into it. Exactly. And I think also, yeah, a, a pretty face is a pretty face, yeah. but a body there, there's a lid for every pot body wise. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yes. Yes. So do we think that Beanie's weight is going to be her nose? Yeah, I could see them changing that. I was literally- It's such a good thought. When I was like cleaning after our episode, I was like, could they change nose with deviation to like body with deviation or something like- Ellie, I want to say thank you for your submission uh, as the user to the podcast. And yeah, we thought, we kind of think so. We think maybe they'll make, yeah, it'll just be like my round. Like I have a, a body with curves- yeah, but they wouldn't have said curves back then. Like they would have been like, right. they would have said those really unfortunate old fashioned words like husky. <laughs> I love that husky is the like most unfortunate word. I, I know what you mean though, right? Like, right. But was husky a big bone? A- I'm a big boned girl. Yeah, big boned. They would say big boned probably back then or or something. But like, also, when does it take place? The 30s? Like, everyone was starving because of the Great Depression. So they probably didn't even have like the concept anymore. Shoot, shoot. Yeah. Well, maybe, okay, maybe they'll just, you know, so much of theater and film is suspension of disbelief. Maybe it'll just be like, my tiny nose will not stand in my way. You know, maybe they'll right, just rewrite, right. they'll rewrite history. So the tiny nose is the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the drama that's going on right now with Leah and Beanie. So 
as we said last week, like the front runner for this role, the Broadway revival of Funny Girl was Leah Michelle. She didn't get it. Uh, Beanie Feldstein was on Watch What Happens Live last week. And Andy Cohen asked her about um, about the role, I guess. Apparently Leah Michelle's, he asked her what she made of Leah Michelle's name trending when it was announced that Beanie was cast. And Beanie said, I didn't know any of this was happening. All of a sudden, people started explaining it to me. And I was like, wait, what's happening? She very sweetly wrote on my Instagram, I don't know the woman whatsoever. Wait, so like Leia wrote on Beanie's gram? No, Beanie said, I don't know the woman whatsoever. She's like, she oh very, she's like, I don't know why anybody was was writing about Leah in relationship to me getting this role, which I'm like, bitch you knew, you know why. And then she's like, she very sweetly wrote on my Instagram. I don't know the woman whatsoever, but, and it's like, okay. Oh my goodness. Beanie Feldstein, you're going to sit here and tell me that you weren't a gleek. First of all, second (laughs) of all, that your agents never said to you, oh yeah, Leah Michelle is the front runner for this. Everyone thinks it's going to be her. Like, come on. Right. It reminds me of like when you like like stalk a guy or something like you have a crush on someone and you like deep dive their profile and then like they 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 like mention their like ex-wife or something and you're like oh I, I didn't know you had been married and it's like well well yes I did and I go- I google searched like I google uh street viewed where she lives like it's like when you do yeah. those deep dives and you're like oh really I, oh I didn't know that you worked in finance oh, oh I didn't know that you <laughs> oh it's interesting oh you have a right. you know I, it's like playing it too cool bean yeah it's like normally i would say i love this (laughs) old school diva shade like that's what that is but because of the fact that it's so obvious that leah was supposed to be in that role and the fact that it's almost kicking her when she's down because everyone does know she's a bitch now and she's still reeling from like last year being exposed as not just a bitch but a racist like it's not it's not like a fun dig it's kind of like you, okay beanie you won like right what won. beanie should have said was like i'm so honored that i'm even in the same category because because also leah's start was on but leah is a broadway performer she's like talented. that's like what she's talented and like i mean i i saw her many 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 years ago in spring awakening which is like a kids on broadway show so like leah is the realest deal in terms of broadway talent so like beanie should be doing nothing but thanking her lucky stars that they cast her but we still never heard beanie sing we've never heard her sing and as we as you remember from last episode we didn't even think her hello gorgeous was that gorgeous yeah it was like hello gorgeous oh gorgeous (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. I have to tell you something else. Also real quick. I want to say shout out to Jess, who I also mentioned last week because Jess knew that Leah Michelle was rooted in polite since the days of spring awakening because wow, Jess met her backstage and she was hanging out with one of the guys that was in it. And like, she was just nasty to her. Wow. You know what? People are who they are. I know. So, okay. I meant to send you this today, but I didn't want to wake you up. I don't know why I, for once, you'll never wake me up. It's on silence. Send away. Yeah. I'm so glad I just remembered this on air because so I was looking at TikToks of Joan Rivers because I just wanted to watch a bunch of Joan Rivers clips rapid fire. And I found this like deranged blue haired Gen Z girl who thinks that Joan Rivers is still so, so there's, there's one conspiracy theory on TikTok that Joan Rivers was taken out by the Clintons or the Obamas because 
she had a big like bit in her live at the Apollo set about how unfortunate looking Chelsea Clinton was. Oh, and of course she told a million jokes about uh, Bill and Hillary, because how do you not? Um, right. And then she also, the week before she died, there's a video of her saying, calling Michelle Obama the T-slur, which is not nice. No. Yeah. It's, Wait. it's not a, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's like so slur. shitty. The slur. Yeah. So like, and she wasn't, it wasn't even part of a bit. It was like someone from, it was a paparazzo following her. And she just says, Michelle Obama's a blank. Wow. And it's like, why? And, and then also something else that I realized watching all of these clips, because there was a lot of clips of Joan on The Apprentice and she's she had always spoken so highly of Donald Trump. And I'm like, if Joan Rivers lived to see the Trump candidacy, she might have endorsed him. Whoa. And like I'm I'm sorry for even sharing that with the class because right. Cause like we it's like almost like once somebody is gone, let's like remember the good times. Like right. But whoa. There's a chance. But also to be yeah, like to be fair. So I also did a big story on Howard Stern last week. And Howard Stern was obsessed with Donald Trump when Donald Trump was just like a sleazy idiot. And then the minute that he started running for president, Howard Stern was like, no, this guy's dangerous. So like maybe she would have gone that way as well. But so the thing I really wanted to tell you, so that those that's the conspiracy theories on TikTok about Joan. There's this one girl who um, she saw a video of, I forget who it was. It was a guy maybe a Broadway guy who's friends with Joan walking out of like the Carlisle or something after Joan had already died. And she's like, look, he's with Joan Rivers. She's still alive. And it's literally just an 80 year old Jewish woman because the woman, because <laughs> the woman wow. talks and, she, and she's like, that 80 year old woman is like, way! get out of my way. And it's like, <laughs> on all the comments are like, Girl, that's just what Jewish women from New York sound like. And she's like, no. Oh, my God. That's so funny. This, this girl's probably from, like, the Midwest or something. Wait, and it's also so funny to think that, like, in her mind, she's like, okay, at the end of the day, I love my, Madonna is challenging this, but it's like, at the end of the day, like, you can't plastic surgery your way out of your 80s. And it's like, she would rather think, she would rather we think she died than just, like, actually became an old person. I, that's yeah. so awesome. I think that's the theory. Yeah. And this girl has like a bunch of videos about it. And she's like, no, this is her. And then someone found, then I found another video where somebody found the face of the real woman who it is. And they were doing a face morph of her and Joan Rivers. Oh my God. Insane. So I just, just but, but did they look, they look nothing alike? Not really. They're both like old white women with right. plastic surgery. Do you know what I mean? Because like right, the woman right, that they right. showed, she's she looks older. She's got gray hair, and her face does like if you said, "Oh, this is Joan Rivers," but she was what was Joan in her eighties when she died? Like, yeah. she wasn't gonna go gray ever. So no. I don't know. It, it it's just it makes no sense. It's literally someone no, who's never faked been a- her death when they when they said to her, "Joan, you got to stop coloring your hair. It's got tons of toxic chemicals in it." Fine, I'd rather die. Like she's like, "Okay, then I'll slip away into this Upper West Side apartment and have a handler and you'll just think I'm some random old lady." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just funny because mm-hmm. it's like you forget living in like the the tri-state area there are huge swaths of the U.S. who have never met a Jewish person before. That's so crazy. I always forget that. I, when they, I went to college, I even had friends that were like, wait, do you guys celebrate Christmas? And it was like, in no. Boston? In Boston. 
but like people that were from, you know, just like all, you know, it's it's an international school. It's a big school, you know, like people that just didn't know. And it was like, what? No, Christmas is like, that's kind of like the the whole, like, that's like the whole thing that we don't, we're not. Christ is in the name. Right. Like we, we, we think Christ, we like to, we want to claim Christ as one of the greatest, coolest Jews of all time. But past that, we do not think he was like the Messiah. Yeah. Whoa. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. People, people just don't know that Jews exist. Yeah. And she's like, she, she thinks that like Joan Rivers way of speaking and her mannerisms are like fully unique to Joan Rivers. Right. 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 That's just how, oh, that's how Joan talked. It's like, no, that's how everyone in Brooklyn talks. <laughs> yeah. Everyone in New Jersey, everyone right, in Long Island. It's just like literally Jew voice. Yeah. It's really funny. Oh my God. That's amazing. Well, I hope that she got an education in Jewish people that day. I'm going to find um, the TikToks and send them to you. Oh, that is so fun. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like anti-Semitism at its best because it's like she's not actually being like hateful or like mean, but it's like sort of just really showing how truly like unless you're Jewish or unless you like are anti-Jewish, how we are really like like we have been white. We have been washed out of the culture in many ways or they're trying. They're trying to just like wash the Jews out every which way. Well, it's also funny because like, and you, you know, they're there are a lot of like famous Jewish people since the beginning of the film industry and like, you know, comedy and even fucking, what was it called? Vaudeville. And oh, it's like, like all, it's like, yeah, it's, it's huge. And like, even just in music, so many of the, like, I mean, some, many of Motown's greatest hits, which is like a predominant, I mean, it's, it's, it's a specifically black music style. It's, it's all like secretly written by like Carol King and her Jewish girlfriends in the back. Yeah. And like half of the, biggest Christmas songs were written by Jewish people. Yeah. It's so funny. But like, if you didn't know, like if you had never met a Jewish person, like you just wouldn't know that like archetype. So you would just be like, like, Oh, she has Joan river voice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's so so awesome. I I do feel like if that is not Joan, which I don't think it is. And if Joan from heaven is looking down, I feel like she's probably a part of her. That's like so fucking proud to be like, I own the voice like i i am the greatest jew of all <laughs> right so true because yeah it's not her she loved working and she loved being famous like yeah. please she's not gonna fucking like, she would have hung in there to the end doing jokes to the end and she was like she and she was yeah. like still performing like she wasn't yeah she wasn't like let me get out of this life that is so wild, man. That is, you know, I, I feel like that is one thing that I can say about the Jewish like entertainers. They never like, so I saw Jackie Mason when I was in high school with my mom. Cause it was like my mom and my grandfather, like it was my grandfather's favorite comedian. And then because of how much it meant to my, my mom was very close to her father. He passed. So when Jackie Mason was doing a tour and went to the paper mill playhouse, we had to go. And this guy was old. And then he actually didn't die until this year and was doing shows until the day he was doing shows until this year. Oh, and, crap. and uh, shout out Sheba. Uh, she's, she's a comedian in New York. She's I'm friendly with her, but like, it's like, it's just crazy because like when, when we saw him, we were like, wow, this is so incredible. We're seeing one of his last shows. And it's like, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> See, no. I almost went to um a book signing that Joan Rivers was doing at Barnes and Noble I got invited because I was working at the Observer at the time and then and I didn't go because I was like it's Joan Rivers like she's gonna be around forever and it was like a month before she died 
And then when but she like, died, I was like, the, fuck. Yeah, should, you could even just say you went just to like remember it differently and maybe you'll just mm-hmm. have, but but it is kind of interesting, right? That like, yeah, like that's the Jews, man. Like like a month before their death, they are out there doing book signings. Like even like when you look at like, you know, Carl, Carl Reiner and and like Mel Brooks being interviewed, it's like these guys still got it. They're just a yeah. million years old. The biggest story this week, obviously, was the giant interview that came out in British GQ uh, by Molly Lambert, who I didn't even realize it was by her. We've followed each other on Twitter for years. I don't think we've ever actually spoke, just interacted on Twitter, but she's a great journalist. And I mean, obviously like it takes really good journalism to set the internet on fire with a, a magazine feature in 2021. So she the name is familiar to me, actually. The first thought when I saw who wrote it, I was like, do I know her? Is she like a New York? Is she in New York? I think she's L.A., actually. Why is her name so familiar to me? Because I'm not a journalist. I think she's just had bylines forever. Like, she's just been doing Good for her. She, yeah, she's been in the game for a while. So, so she- Molly, we see you. We recognize you. We appreciate- yeah, a hundred percent. And and also, like, if you read the actual feature, like every single line, you you have to reread it because you're like, this is fucking crazy. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so good. Like not just the quotes, which are like insane enough on their own, but just like the actual writing. So yeah, I thought so it was they, very. I, I thought it was very well done, and I thought I, I did read it twice too because I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, it's just crazy. So she interviewed them, and they just said. The, the craziest shit and it's funny because it's kind of like everyone on the entire internet turned on them at once but I also think we all love them you know what I mean like totally. I still like I definitely think that they're idiots but like I'm happy I do think that- they're right I think they're idiots that are right for each other like I, I do think that they are genuinely completely enamored yeah 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 and like I had listened to her on Who's the girl from Vanderpump Rules? Lala Kent. And her husband is this guy named Randall or something. And they he produced a movie that was the way that they met. So but then so, there was some sort of falling out between the two couples because like a month or two ago when the movie was premiering, Lala like cropped Megan out of all the photos and, and, and like no. – and like Megan and Machine Gun Kelly like don't acknowledge them anymore. I don't know. There was some sort of beef. I'm sure we'll find out what happened. Fine. Uh, but that was, I listened to them on, it was called Give Them Lala with Randall. That's the name of Lala's podcast. And they both went on it because they had met, like, I guess they didn't realize yet that this relationship was going to be a media juggernaut because they were doing this like fourth rate podcast. And I say this as someone with like a seventh rate podcast but they were doing this like fourth rate podcast to to like debut their relationship. Lala Kent's podcast, like please. Although Lala's pretty big, I feel like wasn't Lala uh w- like on MTV when we were growing up the whole time? No, it's a different Lala. Oh, I don't know this yeah. Lala. <laughs> Lala Kent. This is White Lala. She. Oh, I don't even know that there. I thought you were talking about Lala. I didn't even know there was. I was like thinking Lala's on Vanderpump Rules. That's so Lala Anthony. Yeah, Lala Anthony. Oh. She was Lala Vasquez, and then she married Carmelo Anthony. I was actually going to correct you. I was going to say actually, I think Lala's married to an athlete. I think I think it's I think she's married to Carmelo Anthony. Right. Okay. Different Lala. No, I'm talking about waitress Lala. This is okay. Like, yeah. Don't. This is a truly unknown Lala. God, yeah, to be the other Vanderpump. Lala. What a bummer. 
I know. So she's on Vanderpump Rules. So that's her like claim. Uh, and so so when people are saying like this machine gun Kelly Megan Fox relationship is a PR grab, it's like, no, if this was a PR relationship, they wouldn't have debuted it on a fucking Bravo Liberties podcast. Like, thousand percent. There's no way. So they talked on that podcast for some reason. I just love Megan Fox. So I listened to it. And she said on that podcast that they were twin flames. So she's been saying this forever. It was in July. She said they were twin flames. She talked about their charts. I don't, I can't believe I never sent this to you because she's really into astrology and she's into astrology. And I want you to know, like I've been down the twin flame journey and out. Yeah. Like our twin flames. Know all about the twin flame journey. (laughs) Do you think it's real? I think it's kind of like. So she says, I do. Well, yeah. Tell me what, let me explain what it is to people. She says, I knew right away that what he was, what I call a twin flame instead of a soulmate, a twin flame is actually where a soul has ascended into a high enough level that it can be split into two different bodies at the same time. And it's like, okay, you're actually just bragging about how ascended your soul is. Like you're like, I am so like, I am so enlightened that like my soul is half of my soul is in machine gun Kelly. Uh, I want to say that is a funny way to phrase it. It's like, it's like, that's like very, if you talk to anybody in the twin flame journey in the communities, ain't nobody leading with it's because we're so ascended. Like, it's so funny yeah. that for, for Megan's take to be like, you know, actually glamorizing her soul, I think is a very funny thing to lead with. Yeah. So she said, we're actually two halves of the same soul. And I said that to him almost immediately because I felt it right away. So the other thing that I think is unsaid in, in that podcast, in the GQ story is the fact that like Megan Kelly was 18 years old when she started dating. Megan Fox, Megan Fox, Megan Kelly, (laughs) Megan Kelly, who's Megan Kelly's twin flame. I don't even like, uh, Um, what's his name Roger Ailes is Megan Kelly's twin flame right right so Megan Fox she was 18 when she started dating um Brian Austin Green and I remember at the time being like this girl is like the hottest girl I've ever seen in my life she's so cool and smart and interesting why is she dating a washed up 90210 actor and I had the same thought I had wait oh we said again how old was he he was 31 and she was 18 then they had three kids together they stayed together for yeah, her entire then, 20s was with him. So well, I the feel crazy like- thing too is they always had a very tumultuous relationship. It wasn't like, it was like, wow, they just fell madly in love. It was like, if you read the headlines, like they were also like breaking up all the time and getting back <laughs> together. So it was like, she was really like, in like she, she was not like in there, in there with him. But like, I, I do think she felt bound to him in whatever way. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. I feel like now she's in her early 30s and she's acting like a teenager and that's why. And you can't begrudge her that because you're like, you were dating a guy who was way too old for you and that's not your fault. That's his fault for so long. And like, so yeah, act like an idiot. And Machine Gun Kelly also became a dad at a really young age. So I I, I, dude, I messaged you that the other day. Remembering that they both have kids is like one of the weird, it's like, oh, whoa. Like, I feel like we never see him I don't really even care about we never see or hear about her being a mother at all I feel no, like like she's we just always she's so always, not a part of her image or her life no I disagree completely she used to always get snapped by the paparazzi with their kids really I feel like I never at least maybe more recently because now she's been ever I, I feel like in in MGK era we have not seen them yeah yeah well I think that's because 
I'm sure there's some sort of custody, not battle, but dispute happening because of them breaking up. So also there was this thing that happened like earlier this year where Brian Austin Green posted on Instagram like, oh, she's out like cavorting with this guy and I'm like taking care of our kids. And, God. and dude, shut the fuck up. Like you dated a teenager and got her pregnant like let her have a life like clearly your kids are being taken care of so I think she kind of she saw him use their kids as a pawn and she kind of was like if I get papped with the kids ever from now on it's gonna look like I'm trying to get one over on him so she's like taking the classy route I feel well and she does know about I mean, she's very good at like working the media like that is something where she has really you know, because I do think it's weird when you start uh, when you start in Hollywood super young and then you get married super young and then like you kind of I mean, I feel like her career has had some real ups and downs, but she's always really good, been really good at like staying top of mind, staying relevant. Like she makes herself she presents herself as newsworthy, like all the time. Yeah, yeah, she is good at that. And she was so ahead of her time with all of the like, kind of, I don't want to say like, me too, because it wasn't fully me too. But you know what I mean? And she also like, I, I think a lot of women hated her when she first popped off, because it was like, who is this like, really hot girl who's like, quote, unquote, catering to the male gaze? Like there was a very still a very like, second wave mindset around feminism at that time so like women just didn't trust her and now everybody's like okay you actually can be hot and (laughs) and smart and that's allowed you know like people didn't trust her so we we should talk about how stupid the quotes were like stupid is funny you know like I I love it yeah yeah he said they said I really like how they call each other outlaws all the time because I'm like out, like they call it, they use the word outlaw and outcast a lot. And I'm like, you're on the cover of GQ. It doesn't couldn't more be more popular. Couldn't, couldn't be more, be more popular, popular establishment than that. <laughs> right, like, right. it's not even the cover of like an underground like magazine. That's like right. phenomenally cool. It's like the most mainstream and like good celebrate that. That's cool. But you're not outlaws and outcasts. And no. also your name is Colson. Oh, I, yeah, that was when he said we're yeah. I, in the um in the article, there's like a link to a video where it's like interviewing each other, and she's like, "I'm Megan Fox," and he's like, "I'm Colson, whatever." And she's like, "Is that your name?" And I thought that was funny. I thought she was funny like that, like because yeah, obviously she knows funny. that that's his name, but that is a funny yeah. Like Colson is not an outlaw, right? He he's just not, and like yeah. you're so blonde, like stop. Yeah. Um, they said that they he knew she was in love with him because they built a fort in his living room and he made her laugh really hard. And I was just like, this is what's cool about not having a job. Like that's (laughs) the the amount of free time that these two have to just be obsessed with each other. Like no adult with a real job is doing that. I loved him. He built me a whole fort in the living room. It's like, okay, you guys have everything you need for this to be the impressive thing. Right. Like exactly. either you're living in poverty and you made like the, 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 you know, the camp fun or you, you know, you made the ghetto fun or you have everything you need. And to add a little whimsy to the living room by making a fort because there's nothing else to do and there's no money issues is the other side of it. Yeah. So the big thing that everyone was talking about was you smell like weed. I am weed. It's so funny. The memes that you've been posting. Oh, man. I, I, I love, love the Internet's all. take on that. That is so funny. 
Yeah. Oh, this also. So that was really funny. The I am weed because like you're 31 years old. What are you talking about? Well, and then too in this story too that I I, I did think Molly, if I could give you one note, you missed sort of because she was like, and then he puffed away like a whatever Ninja. whatever. But it's like it's actually like no, I am weed, and like then he like you know he got it should have been like he he puffed away like you know like a like as if it it was like some kind of a smoke reference, but it's like no, it should have been like a. You know, like and and like you know the, the the smoke, the weed was burned, and that's where he because like at first he disappeared when they first met. Like I am. Yeah, weed. she said he disappeared. And it's like okay, well, we smoked, smoked the weed and it was gone. Yeah. So she also this other thing didn't get enough play that it should have because it's so funny and weird. Um, he said she wouldn't kiss me. We just put our lips right in front of each other and breathed each other's breath, and then she yeah. just left. That I thought was I kind of got hung up with her too, only because it's like you better you got to plan for a moment like that, especially if they're at a party and like, you know what I mean? Like if you just had a cheese bite or you were eating some kind of like an onion soup, you are going to be really regretful in that moment that you didn't just lean in for the make out and, and mix it all up. Because if you're just sitting there blowing your bad breath into someone's face, like you better really have had a tic tac on you. Like you got to be ready for that. Don't you think when you first meet someone who you're really into, even if they had bad breath, you might not notice? No, actually bad breath for me is like one of my number one make or breaks. Yeah, but you wouldn't know if like, let's say the first time you ever met the person that you've been like seeing for so long, if he had bad breath, you wouldn't have noticed. Well, that's not true. Actually, there is somebody who in my life was a long term, long term, like crush. And we always had like a thing. But when he actually got close enough to me that actually weren't even face to face. I could just smell the halitosis in the car. And, and from that moment on, I was like, never going to fuck him. Type it. Cause I couldn't read your re- lip reading. I'll, this okay, also horrible breath. Now I'm thinking when I was in college one time, there was this guy that I was really into. And I, I thought that he didn't like me because I wasn't Jewish. Like I swear to God, he was really into being Jewish. And he just always like, I like, we would make out sometimes and I would be like, we can go further. And he'd be like, no, no, like we can't, we can't. And I was like, <laughs> why? Like, what the fuck? We're in college. That's oh, who. God. The center of this, this. So that was always something where it's like, why didn't anything ever happen? That is like the number one reason actually. Okay. But I would, I would argue that your, that's because your pheromones didn't match up. The okay. That, that might noticed. be true, but, but, but is halitosis of, um, cause other people have noticed too. Like I've spoken about it with mm. other people, you know, who else does? Hold on. I'm writing and it in. Also like a lot of people make fun of Kim Kardashian. Sometimes I think I, I believe that sometimes I think people don't have it cause they don't eat enough or they that have is, bad breath. That's food. actually exactly what I think it is. Or it's like, you're taking pills and then you're not eating. It's like, it's sort of a pill breath thing. Yeah. It's like, you don't have enough in there, mm-hmm. but so people always make fun of Kim Kardashian because she said she could smell cavities. I actually can smell cavities as well. I, I, I feel the same. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This, the first guy smelled like cavities. The second yeah. person is, is more of a not eating thing. The first person, it's like your teeth are not, it's, it's, it, 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 it smells like poor health. And it was the kind of thing too, where it's like, mm. we could be sitting in a car, not facing each other, but I could smell it. That's really bad. Very upsetting. So this, this guy that I really liked in college, like we would have good makeout sessions, but then like this one time he had a, this is so gross. Why did I bring this up? Well, I'm dying huge, to know now. He had a huge booger hanging out of his nose and oh, like, no, 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 no. And it was hard. And like, I was like, he was about to leave and like, 
I noticed it and he went in for a kiss and then like I kissed him and I like felt it brush the top of my lip. Like that's how much it was hanging out. Oh my Molly. That's like one of those things where it's like a true friend will tell you when there's spinach in your teeth. Like that's on you a little bit because the minute that you noticed that there was a boulder hanging out of his nose, that was actually, well, it was like, of it was like, you should have been like, babe, babe, you have a, you have a dangle in your nose. We only made out a couple times and like, I liked him. So I was like, I don't want to make him feel bad because he was leaving my house. He was on the way out. Like he definitely was going to notice the minute that he walked. I'm actually nauseous now just thinking. But the cool thing is I never liked him anymore after that because I was like, everyone gets boogers. Like everyone gets boogers. It's just like when you viscerally feel someone else's booger brush the top of your lip that's a different ball game and, and like, well, just, if, like, I feel like that is acceptable if you're in, like if you were to f- like feel Nick's booger at this point it might be like oh his bo- my booger is your right. and maybe if I really actually had liked this guy it wouldn't have bothered me right like I feel like like that's the kind of thing too where it's like certain smells like when it's your person smells you, I want to like you know that's like even dirty talk can be like I want to like I want your stank on me or whatever I don't know if I have been dirtier than other people but like I miss your smelly whatever it's like, yeah, but if you don't like someone, it's like, you smell. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, so, Molly, you have been, that's another, Molly, thank you for sharing that that trauma on this podcast. I, it's it's trauma with a low, it's not a capital T, it's a lowercase T, but boy, that is a, to, to actually, how, and that was the last time you kissed him. Yeah, never again after that. Yeah, but that's pretty bad when it, when when the booger is actually the make or break. I mean, I guess it wasn't meant to be anyway, but that is that's a deeply upsetting. I would hate it if that was someone's last memory of me. I know, but I'm sure we've all been that gross to someone else and we just don't know it. Well, I I probably know it. I mean, I'm definitely I'm kind of gross, but I don't know. I I, I think I, I pride myself. I pride myself in knowing it. So maybe I really am missing things I don't know. You probably don't know the specifics because like if it was really that bad, like the person just ghosts you. Like I really just kind of ghosted when that happened because I was like, well, I, I actually I can't. I was I was trying to remember on the Munuel of the night. I was telling the herpes story on the Munuel and I couldn't rem- I was like, I don't remember the punchline. Like, why didn't he want to go down on me? And then I remembered afterwards. And actually, the reason that he didn't want to go down on me is because when we first first started dating, we came home one night from a night of partying and he saw my underwear that were flipped inside out. And he said that I had a poopy no. diaper and, you no. know, yeah. And, but, but, but he stayed with me. I, I had like skid marks and, and, but it was like, you know, it was, it was one of the nights, this is before I started, you know, I was like, it was sort of a Coke night. It was sort of, you know, it was a very, very wasted night. And I just threw my underwear off and whatever, but it was like right at the beginning of us starting to hang out. He didn't ever tell me until I finally was like, why aren't you waiting me out? And he's like, because ever since then, like, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to embarrass you. And I really like you. And we, we were together for like a decade. So it's, he didn't ghost me, but it took me like having a really grill him on like, why are you not going down to him for him to say you had a poopy diaper? What do you think? Like, so this proves my point because it's like, you guys liked each other enough that he right. saw a decade that. later, we, we, we break up a decade later and it has nothing to do with my poopy diaper. Right. And he was like, I am going to preserve her dignity and not tell her because right. I that's like actually her. what it was. He didn't want me to feel embarrassed, but then he also, he said he, the literal sentence he said that actually ultimately did make me want to die was that ever since then I have associated your pussy with shit. And I was like, okay, okay, well, you know, 
it, that's, that's not the, that's not usually the case we were you know we were really partying that night you know, i was like oh my god that's so mean yeah yeah well but he was actually just he wasn't trying to be mean he was trying to say like because i was grilling him he had he said this is why i haven't been going down on you and then and then i was like i want to die like oh this is like the worst moment of my life but then you know and then i forced him to go down on me i sat on his face when he was asleep it was a mistake it was a mistake but um we did we got through it and I've never, I've never shit my pants again. You never shit your pants. You just weren't. It was like a wipe diligent. issue. It was like, it was a white. I didn't have the, I didn't have the cotton L wipes. Yeah. 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 Ugh. So they, the, the funny thing I think about them also is that they're kind of like trying to live out this fantasy rock and roll um, relationship and like rock and roll doesn't exist anymore. It's dead. It's been dead since like the 90s so well, ever since it was like ever since like synth and dis- digital production has been introduced it's almost like there's no need yeah and it's also just that was a moment and it was awesome and the music will live on forever and it's great but like i don't see it coming back anytime soon unless maybe like like with younger kids there's a movement toward analog because they get so sick of like digital production i could see that happening sure. as of right now like there is no punk there is no rock like so he said they they went to the roof and played pop punk and made out also it reminded me of me and nick because we listened to pop punk when we first started dating too do you know that like taking back sunday never really made it to the uk and europe really i'm sure it was probably they were probably big in like germany but like everyone i know like irish people british people they don't really know taking back sunday but they know all the other bands interesting well when you watch sing street you will mm-hmm. have a you'll you'll really like it for because it is it actually is kids forming a rock band and maybe it's just because like in ireland they were like nothing but the original like that's how the kids are coping don't bring us any bands we're coping with rock well yeah 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 so <laughs> here's another crazy quote after she says that he disappeared like a ninja in a smoke bomb she said i think we weren't allowed to see each other yet we weren't supposed to run into each other that night so our souls our spirit guides were luring us away from each other because you literally had no face like that thing from spirited away okay so i do kind of buy this but this is where i was really disappointed megan megan he didn't drift away like a smoke bomb he drifted away like a puff of weed right exactly and but also, like, I think she thinks he just disappeared. Like, he just walked away really fast. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what she's saying, though. Like, the thing about this article is, like, here's what I think. I think that in terms of the, the reason that she knows about Twin Flame is because oftentimes, first of all, do I buy it? You know, what is anything? What is space? What is, you know, I don't know about any of that, right? So, so when we find, like, I think, uh, you know, metaphysical tropes that can help explain what's going on on Earth. It, it is helpful. And it's not a coincidence that the whole twin flame movement is like, if I even tag anything that I post, like hashtag divine masculine, hashtag divine feminine, hashtag divine union, hashtag twin flame, it, it, it gets, it's like get, it get more views always. It is like wow. the most certain thing. Here's what I think though. In general, if you are on this journey, uh, this journey clearly I've, I've been on the journey right but what it actually is is that you get into it because you're with somebody who you feel like inexplicably connected to but there is like a t- so i think that like she was i think brian austin green was what comes before the twin flame which is you get false twins 
false twin flames, which are actually karmic partners. And it means that you have like karma with somebody that you have to work out and work through. And so it looks like the twin flame experience, whatever that even means, but it's like, because you're mirroring each other so much and it is bringing up all your stuff, but because you're like committed to this relationship and you feel like you can't leave, it does feel like this experience where you're like, I like, this is my stuff that's showing and it's your stuff that's showing. And if we can be together with both of our stuff, like the possum, the shadow, the shadow side, then ultimately there is like, there is like union, right? But what ends up happening is that you do so much of this twin flame work, which is actually why I think it's ultimately a positive thing. Not if it keeps you in those toxic relationships too long, but because you actually go, wait, I do need to do that deeper soul work. I do need to do, I need to confront my shadow side. That by the time that you actually are in a position to be healed in terms of your own feminine and masculine and and all of your shadow side, that actually that relationship isn't doesn't work anymore because you've evolved into a place of higher self-love and, and, and more reverence for the whole of your being. So not only are you not as triggered by that person anymore, but also you find that that was sort of what the point was. And there's not, there's not really anything there. Yeah. So this is the thing that I don't like about the twin flame narrative, because I think that it glorifies relationships that are like difficult and a struggle and it's exactly just, what it does it, it completely right because especially if you're not with if the twin flame if the twin flame paradigm is real let's just say what happens is because you get you don't nobody gets in well maybe some people do but you don't get into the journey because you're really with a mirror of yourself and because you don't love yourself you can't love that person but what it actually is is like you're having a toxic relationship and and in many ways probably an abusive relationship and then you're trying to kind of justify and you go well other people can't understand i'm not an idiot this isn't a regular abusive toxic relationship this is this is our souls coming together to heal these final wounds that will then allow us to be in right relationship and it's like if you don't realize that, oh, this actually isn't the other half of my soul. It is mirroring all of my issues. It did bring me into higher healing. And it does teach you how to have like unconditional love. But but it but it does. I mean, what most of the twin flame vernacular ends up saying is like the point of the twin, flame, quote unquote, the twin flame experience isn't so that you end up with that person. It's so that you can have love for that person while also recognizing that like in real life, we really aren't supposed to be together, right? Like most quote unquote twin flame union relationships don't actually result in like a marriage or like a perfect soul union. It ends in a love for someone who you've had this experience with, but it ultimately forces you to separate. Yeah. So she said this one quote, she said that was the thing that really bothered me the most in the whole interview is it's ecstasy and agony for sure. I don't want people think to think anything's perfect for us. I didn't say it was the darkest fairy tale for no reason. There's also the demonic side. And I'm like, okay, I hope you're just saying that to sound. Like, what cool. does that even mean? Like, yeah, I, I that's what right. I hope. Like, what does that mean? I hope. Yeah. Like, I hope you're just saying this to seem like a cool, like dark girl with Betty Page bangs, because if you actually have agony in your relationship, it's not the relationship for you. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. And actually, to be fair, I don't see I could see where like they each have their own personal demons, you know, that they that because they are in this union, because they are connected in this way they're able to like express those things and maybe those things trigger the other. Or, like I could see it being where it's like each, like 
MGK in the article talks a lot about his like suicidal ideation and how depressed he's been. And, you know, if I can just make some music and leave it, there's a legacy for my children where like, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. So I think we're talking about, and I don't think it has anything to do with the relationship. I do think we could be just talking about two people who have issues yeah, and maybe like, in their own personal agony, but I don't see this relationship being one where they are agonizing, like because of the relationship, they seem to be really, uh, like unified on the same page and in love. Yeah. But if she's going out of her way to say there's a demonic side, it's like, okay, are you talking about like you guys like to tie each other up or are you talking about you scream and throw things at each other? I would, my, my assumption is that we're talking about sex and I hope that's all it is. And I think that's all it is because at the end of the day, right. If they're actually like in a toxic, abusive, agonizing twin flame journey, then I do not, I, I hope to for, for, to God, this is not their final stop. Like, I think, no, there should never be a relationship that you actually are committed to for life where you are in any sort of agonizing pain. Absolutely or not. Committed to for more than the five minutes that you realize you're in agony. Like get the fuck 1,000%. Out well, but, and especially since it's one thing if it's your first time through it, but if she was on again, off again for 10 years with Brian Austin Green, and which is why she's been Googling this. And the, the reason when she said, when we met, I knew he was this is because she had done that work before and go, she had the vernacular. She had the language. You don't have the language just because you're like, I hope I have a twin. Nobody even goes there unless they're Googling. Why am I so connected to my toxic partner? Why can't I shake my toxic abusive partner? Yeah. Now the the thing that bothers me when they, when they use this kind of language is like Megan Fox has Megan Fox and machine gun Kelly have enough time and money for therapy. If this doesn't work out. But like the average person, the average like 14 year old girl whose boyfriend is like emotionally abusing her and reads that is not going to be able to go on that journey. Like 100 percent, like get pregnant, you know, but I do get the sense. So in the same way that like they're not outlaws and they're not outcasts, I don't think I think the agony they're talking about is like like fetish sex stuff. That that to me is the only thing that makes sense. Do you know what it might be hmm. is like they might be freaked out because of the fact that like being super in love in heteronormative love is actually one of the lamest things to be in the year 2021, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Nobody wants like just normal, healthy, mundane, basic, like partnership, gender love, like cringe. No one gives a fuck. So they're like, we're going to get skull tattoos and that will make it cool. It's like, no, you guys are just doing what like humans have done since the beginning of time. Like, well, and even like reading the article where it's like, it starts with them. I, I, they had me at, we were tattooing each other, which is like, yo, you better be a really good artist. If you're going to be tattooing my skin, honey, like I cannot believe that they even but it's like that is such a display of like we're creating it, it, it's a creative act of bondage it's not like and then we were so angry and after the fight we like took knives and we cut our wrists and we, we cut our palms and we held them together and became blood buddies it's like you're choosing blood to buddies. Do in front of people you know what I mean it's like we're choosing to do this in front of people it's dark it's intense it's a it's a it is it's showing our love performatively but it's like on the you know it is safe it's on the level there are people there that that yeah i totally agree i think they're trying to add an element of 
uh, passion that like, right. They don't like alternativeness to to their very much, this very mundane fact that like two very good looking straight cisgender, rich, extremely privileged white people met each other and like fell in love. Like it's okay to just be boringly in love, but also they're, they're entertaining us. So we love it. I, I could not agree more. I do, but I do think that on some level they are just boringly in love. Yeah. Which is actually really cute. Yeah. So the other thing that I really like love about this, and then we can get into their charts, which I think yeah. their charts. Yeah, ones. but we didn't do it from the romance perspective. And I do have some intel. Okay. So the other thing I really love about this is like the only person that I've dated who ever spoke this way was a person who had been to rehab. And I think it's really <laughs> funny. All of the memes that are coming out about this interview like so many of them make reference to rehab. Like the one from, fuck, what is it called? I, I follow this one account that's literally for people who are in drug recovery. Dank recovery, that's what it's called. Oh, and it's yeah, got yeah. the funniest memes. And I don't know. I just feel like the things that they are saying to each other and saying about each other are very like, I got out of rehab less than six yeah, months yeah. ago. You 1, know what I mean? 1,000%. 1 when trillion it's like, percent. Yeah. When you're just like, oh, you know, I'm not doing drugs or anything anymore. Like I'm not drinking. And like, it just so happens that five minutes after I got out of rehab, I became completely obsessed with the, the, you know, the, the pharmacist at CVS. And now we're, you know, like just a random person who's like, not even that great. Well, and it's so I agree completely. And it also is very much that like, sort of, addict behavior which is like okay if we are if we have cleaned up our acts in whatever way now the place that we want to take out this like obsessive addictive like you know unhealthy it's like it's like the it's on some level that is an intox I mean it's an intoxicating feeling right to be like so obsessed or so addicted or so and especially if these people are you know relatively drug-free I don't know if I mean, I, I assume they drink, but like, you know, they probably are relatively drug free in whatever way to be. This yeah, you don't look right as now. good at me- as Megan Fox right. at our age unless right. you're like straight edge. You're healthy. Right. So it's like this. This is like their outlet for like, well, this is where we put in all that shadow energy. And I just I hope I, I truly just think it's like a sex chamber and some S&M. I love that. I, I, I love it. I love it for them. I think it's really fun also that they're being this open about it because why? What's the point? Like, they're not really promoting anything as far as I can see. I think they're just like, so stoked about it. And I just mm-hmm. think, like, even though everyone's been making fun of them all week, myself included, I'm still just kind of like, good for you guys. I love now, it. I like it. Yeah, I think we haven't had a good, like, a, we haven't had a good Hollywood relationship that we've felt so like invested. intimately invested in. Yeah. Like we're all like in, and th- there, there aren't that many of those left. Even the ones that we think are really going to make it. It's like, now we got fucking like Chris Martin calling Dakota Johnson, his universe. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like this, we believe like we are like, yeah, they are in. It- it's like, and then I also do think though, it is good. Like the reason that the Megan Kelly, Courtney Kardashian skims ad was Megan so Fox. successful. What'd you say? Megan Fox, not Megan Kelly. Oh my God. Megan Fox. <laughs> so funny that we keep saying Megan <laughs> Kelly. Ah! I think it's because it's Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. You know, that's like if she married him, she'd become Megan Kelly. But it's like, um, no, but that's not even his name. But it's like, it's like, I, I feel like the reason that that, like at the end of the day, I think Megan is an incredible 
businesswoman. I think she is an incredible person at staying famous, being famous and staying famous she's and a being star. a star. She's a star. She's a star. And even the way that she talks about like her, like, you know, me too experience. It's, it's actually really, I think healthy because what she says is like, I did a lot of work. Like, yes, I was absolutely a victim of this, but I did a lot of work to get out of that like victim mentality and to really take back my power. So I feel like this is like a big campaign of on us, even on a subconscious level, like, of like taking back her power. The reason that the Courtney Kardashian, Megan Fox, LOL, skims <laughs> ad was so successful is because they've both branded their love, which I do think is authentic in such a way, right? Like, I think that this is a very, I think it's truthful, but I also think it's a strategic move to be like, yeah, we're now the, we're now the it girls. We're the it girls of being in love. Yeah. And I also really like how both of them are using these old school media channels to, to, to cement their status as an it couple, because it's like any like third tier bachelorette contestant can post a picture with their boyfriend on Instagram, but like it actually takes some star power to be have the paparazzi following you in Italy and to have right, to be like, the- our love is the news is pretty right. good. And I, I love it. I'm really happy that, that, that it's. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's keeping those those old school media outlets alive. Like it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. And it also like, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like when they first started dating, I tweeted like millennials, we better get behind this partnership because this is our (laughs) last chance at having an it couple in our generation. Like I really, wow. You are so, you're so psychic. Molly. You are so on top of it. Thank you. Because all the millennials are turning 30 and like, we're the only ones that remember when, like a Vogue cover really, really meant something. Yeah, and like, yeah. All the kids younger, it's just going to fade more and more and more with time. It's still going to always be there, but it's not going to be the same thing. Like, I don't think there's ever going to be the moment of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West on the cover of Vogue. Like, I don't think that's going to happen again. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is our last gasp of like Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, paparazzi tabloid, love and like the two of them singing each other's praises publicly because they're also not really big enough stars to be like we want our privacy like they're both kind of like they're playing this game because they want to stay famous and they want to stay big well and And I I think the irony too is like we're also watching the the only other couple right now that is sort of in the same arena would be maybe like Jen and Ben and it's it's like the beginning of the Jen and quiet 
Well, but, but see, that's what I'm saying. So like Jen and Ben were kind of like the beginning of the, the revamp of those Hollywood couples that we became obsessed with. And then like at the beginning where they like were calling the pops on themselves, then it, then it got the best of them and they had this meltdown. So now they're specifically not like, I don't think Remember we were talking a few weeks ago. I don't think this time around they are, they, I don't think they want to be like, I think they, they know how to work the, they know how to work the system. They're not like hiding, but I think that they're not calling the paparazzi on themselves in the same way. Right. I think that they're trying to really not do that. So they because weren't going to beat they, that for us this time around. Yeah. They have a credibility problem as a couple because of that. Like, yes, yes, yes. Still, most people don't believe that it's real. Like still right. most people think that it's a PR stunt. So like they actually need to lay low because they've already done this merry-go-round before, but yep. like with, you know, but then I, I also think it's funny because I feel like Travis Barker and Courtney Kardashian will never do a big interview because they're both. And I love Travis Barker. Like, trust I love me, Travis. Was, I love Travis. I, he was my guy when in Blink-182. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. he's Well, so he hot. like made drummers the front man, which is very hard because he was so hot because the mm-hmm. other two were so goofy and he was mm-hmm. just so mysterious and hot. But yeah. so he like he's, he's mysterious. He's quiet. And Courtney is droll and dry. Like she's not going to, they're not going to give an interview where they're calling each other twin flames. Like they're going to give an interview. No, all where- they can do is at the very, at the very most, they're like, I want your skull. I want your skull. Like they're just doing black hearts and, and hoping that that's enough. Right, 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 right. Which is fine. Like it is enough. We're still eating it up. So they released a video where Megan Fox is whispering for no reason. She's kind of trying to do this like Marilyn Monroe sexy mm. voice. And she talk, she recites Coulson's entire chart. And she talks about how he has a Pisces stellium and he's such a Pisces, uh, which was cute. And it was funny because on TikTok, all these people were like, see, she's smart. She knows his chart. And all these other people were like, that doesn't make her smart. It just makes her into astrology. Into astrology, right. She know, she yeah. just is obsessed with her man. And that's the first thing we look at if we have a, if we have an, if we have a relationship with astrology, the first thing we do is look at the relationship astrology. <laughs> yeah. So what can you tell us about their charts? But also, oh, I meant to say this before. I'm sorry. When she was on Lala Ken's podcast, she talked about how she looked at all of her sons when they were born, all of their moon signs and like looked really far into their chart to see how she should mother them. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would do that because I would be scared that it would make me form like a preconceived notion of who my kid is and then adjust the, like they would adjust the way they behave based on that. Like, I don't think this I would is do such that. A, this is such a like hot topic conversation in the astrologer community because there's a lot of mixed opinions on that, where it's like, should you look at your child's chart? Like, you know, I do parent child readings and actually I do a lot of consulting for parents with their kids. I actually think that, you know, it's one thing if you look at your kid's chart and then you try to like, you know, you, you try to like point them in certain directions, which, you know, shadow side, light side, kitty and opossum. There's the more you try to control your child, the probably the more opposite they're going to act. Right. But I think if we're just talking about moon signs, that it's actually a very responsible thing to do. Like, I don't necessarily think you want to do like the projections for their career. I don't, you know, you don't want to look at the progress chart for when they're 30 necessarily. But I do think that understanding your child's moon sign on a basic level does show you how to mother them in only in the way that it not only does it represent their connection to you. So your mother, your moon sign does represent sort of the mother in your chart it represents and you could look at like the moon and the mars relationship to see what your relationship with your mother is in your chart What's my mars again 
your Mars is in, I believe it is in Scorpio in the eighth house. Yes, yes, yes. So like you're transmuting a lot of your, you're very sort of triggered by your mother in a lot of ways, but then you're also taking what she passed down to you and like transforming it. You feel attached Mm -hmm. to her and, and almost like bound to her, but it's like in a way where you have to take it and do something with it. Like eighth house is very much like behind closed doors in the ways that you are like, okay, I'm going to like, why are you so good at what journalism is? I I was going to say before how cute it is that for you, every story, like the romance in every story comes back to like, save the media. Right. Like, so it's, and it's opposite your moon. So the relationship that you have with your mother, and you could cut this if it's too personal, but it's like on some level, it's like you, you feel safe and comforted in that Taurus energy, but then there's sort of this you have to do this work. You're very triggered by your mother opposite. And then you have to kind of work with all the shit that she passed down to you and actually like reform it to make you feel safe and to have a relationship with her. Like you have to transform that strife with your mother and all of your mother's karma so that you can actually be uh, in a, in a right relationship with her. But there is sort of this opposition, right? There's sort of this like fight inherent or this feeling of like behind closed doors, like why are you such a bitch? Right. So For, and for me, my moon is exactly conjunct my Mars also in the eighth house. So for me, my mother is, I, I have real deal separation issues. My mother and our relationship is like, on the one hand, we do fight and we do, we trigger each other a great deal, but we also are attached at the hip. Like me mm-hmm. coming and being alone in Philly and Florida was one part about the men. And it was the other part in about my mother. Like I have had real deal separation issues with my mother since I was like, they had to like pull me out of the clock. Like they were literally pulling me out of the car in preschool. I was holding on with my claws. Like I can't leave her. I can't leave her in terms of my work. Right. The reason that I'm a coach is because of like the Louise Hay books that were stacked to the ceilings in my house growing up and the, the chakra grids. Like she did raise me who I am is exactly who my mother raised me to be. Exactly. And the thing that I always can fall back on if and when I have nothing is comedy and talking about my mother on stage. She is the most incredible source of material ever. Right. So like I I can take every conflict. I can take every, you know, every deep connection that my mother and I have on every level, even the fights, even the triggers and turn it into eighth house, turn it into second house, something that makes me feel safe, builds my bank account, connects me to others. Does that make sense? Yeah. But would you like, I think, so you, you've said there's division in the community, whether mm-hmm. you should look at that for your own kids. I want it, I want you to do Oscar's chart because I want to know how to get him to fucking sleep through the night and stop pooping <laughs> on the floor. But like, I, I think whenever I have kids, I'm gonna start out just be super duper loving. And then like, if there's an issue, if, if yeah. they're, if, if we're not getting along really well, like I'll then then I'll start looking into their. Charts. Well, because the thing that it will do in a way that isn't like controlling the thing that your child's moon sign will tell you is what their temperament is and what they need in terms of mothering from you for them to feel safe, express your moon is your soul. Your moon is like mm-hmm. the ultimate point in your chart. Of, that's why, like to me, lunar astrology, like when I read when I read 
my horoscope, I very rarely read the cancer horoscope. I always read the Capricorn horoscope because that's what's really going on for me. Your moon is what's really going on for you. And your moon shows what you need to feel safe. The moon shows how you want to be loved. It shows. So for example, I had a client the other day who I did a, I did a session because she was having trouble with her child and her child was having massive anxiety going to school and her child was having all these issues. So when I looked at the kid's chart, it was really, when she described the whole situation for me, it was really easy for me to tell her what was going on with the kid. Not because I was like, this is your kid's soul journey, but because I was like, oh, the thing that he's missing, like if you want help parenting him, if you want him to have less anxiety at home, you need to make sure, you know, he had a late degree Leo moon. So actually like, he needs to feel safe to express, get him into the arts, get him in when he's having a feeling instead of you thinking like, oh no, what's wrong with my kid? You need to go get, get it out so we can move on. Right. So she was trying to squash this kid's emotional experience because in her mind and in her chart, it was like, what the hell is going on here? She's she has so much air in her chart. Her, her child's chart has this very advanced degree Leo moon. And so what she thought was being loving, which was to try to teach him to, to sort of not chase the feelings or to kind of go focus on something else. What, what, what I said to her is like, no, what you need to do is get him a punching bag for his room and get him cray paws and get him, you know, you have, when he is having a feeling, you go, yes, baby, get it out. And it will change his whole experience. Cause what's happening is like, you're actually giving him anxiety, making him think that there's something wrong with him when all he's really doing is just Leo moons need to just like express themselves and then they move on. Yeah. So all this that's good. Yeah. Now, when I look at Megan Fox and MGK's relationship, I know what she means by like, we are twin flames, but I think what they actually are is soulmates. And I think they are genuinely soulmates. So What's the, thing, the difference, I think a soulmate relationship is one that isn't wrecked with strife. I think it's not the kind of thing where you have to face your shadow self every fucking day and then do affirmations and therapy in order to stay in the relationship because it is so triggering. I think a soulmate relationship is one that actually is, but, but it's like the, the twin flame, the, the vernacular is all messed up because we think of that as like the union that we're looking for. It's like, no, the twin flame relationship, if we go down this path, actually brings you into soul union. It does bring you into divine union with yourself, then the likelihood that you're going to want to date someone that is an exact mirror image of you. Boring. It's I don't even want to date Jews. I've never dated a Jew in my life. I'm like too much like me, enough Jew in me. I want some, you know, we actually should be with complimentary partners and we should actually be with partners where that makes, that make us feel like this is home. Like we are. That's why I stopped dating creative guys, like in my twenties, because I was just like, I don't need two of us to be this way to like me being this way is not 100%. So like, but, but on some level, all of those tumultuous relationships that you were in probably did bring you like the reason that you now have this. And don't let me forget by the end of this sesh, I would like to tell you about your wedding. You don't even know how romantic the day you picked is. It is so crazy. When I pulled it up, I was like, Molly is psychic. Right. But it's like the kind of thing where a soulmate relationship and I don't necessarily think there's like lots. I mean, I do think there's lots of soulmates. Like my, you know, we're soulmates. My girlfriend, yeah. I have girlfriends that are my soulmates. But but it's the same kind of thing where when you look in the charts, there's just this incredible sinistry where you can see in the relationship that it isn't hard. And you can see mm-hmm. in the relationship that there is that you complete me sort of feeling. Not because it's like, because you are me. And and it's it's actually because it's like, wow, we are safe together and we can be in union 
with ourselves and each other in a way that is like creating a functional, happy relationship. And it does feel as intense when you find yours. It's like, I guess maybe soulmate's the wrong word. Maybe it's like, like soul partner, like divine partner, divine, the person that you are divinely ordained to really build your life with. Right. So I really like that. Number one, they do have the same sun. They have the same mercury. They're They're born different years. No, they're both Taurus sons. Remember Taurus, the punk signs? It's funny that they're both Taurus because I feel like they do have a good grip on like, like, you know, I think that Taurus is like the communist sign and the balance party with work sign like Taurin, Taurians are very balanced. And I think they actually are very balanced and they, they talk a big game like, oh, I'm so crazy, but it's like, okay, but you also both have absurdly successful careers and you have a great time. Like that's very Taurus. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And I think why, like, it would be easy to be like, oh my God, you're my, again, the language is what fucks us up, right? Like once you're in the twin flame conversation, then like there's some like weird, like seed planted in your brain where you're like, okay, if it wasn't him, that was my karmic partner, but where's my real twin? It's like, you're your real twin, honey. We're all our own twins. But there's something very satisfying about when you do come together with that person, your divine partner, your divinely ordained soul partner. I like that they have the same son because it's sort of like, oh, it it has this feeling of like, I can accept myself and I love the reflection. I love looking at me, looking at you is like looking at myself and I love it, right? There's a real harmony in terms of the ego. That's why they're so on the same page about like how to brand the relationship and how to, how to put them. I love that he's my ghastly, ghostly little boy. That is my daddy, right? Like they, they're on that. They, they're, their egos need the same thing. So your, your moon is what you need to feel secure. Your sun is what you want people to, or, or not even what you want, but it is how you, it's the energy you radiate. It's your brand. It's your, it's your, you know, solar ego energy. It's your, I am. So two torrents are going, I am you, I am you. And that, that is great. Right. Also, I think it's cool that their mercuries are in the exact same place. These people were not born the same year. So this energy of like, like mercury to mercury connection is like, wow, they do really understand each other. Like when one speaks, the other one throws something out, the other catches it. Like their language and their thought Mm. processes are exact. It's like in the exact same place. So that's really cool. Right Mm. now there are two uh, signatures here that I think are worth noting. And then I want to tell you a quick thing about the composite and then we can move on the, the nodes. We talk a lot about the North node and the South node. In every chart, everybody has a south node, which is where they are coming from. Uh, you know, if the moon is the soul of the relationship, the south node is like the past life mastery. It is where you're coming from with that soul, right? And the north node shows your dharma. It shows where you're supposed to be heading in this life, what you're meant to be focused on, okay? So what I think is kind of nice here is that MGK's south node, so his past life mastery, is directly conjunct in the exact same place as Megan's moon. So what does this mean? It means that even though she is a Leo moon, which which he doesn't really have a lot of Leo in his chart otherwise, but his south node is in Leo. So that performer in her, that that emotionally expressive, I just got to do something arty and get these feelings out. He's like a, the master of that. What could possibly make a Leo moon feel safer than a, than a Leo south node going, oh yeah, mm. I totally know what you're doing. I got you, right? And then when we look at his north node, it's in Aquarius. Now she is a Capricorn rising, but it lands in her first house, which is her. It's, it's like when they met, right. He, it it actually did show him his 
dharma, his destiny. He's moving in the direction of the face of Megan Fox. And I mean, I, without getting too deep into the details of the asteroids, it's right on her asteroid Boda wedding and asteroid groom. Dun, 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 right. So there, uh-huh. when they did meet, there was this feeling of, I guess what we, what we think that the twin flame, it should be like this, but, but I do think there's a real soul recognition here. Now, the other really dope thing is that Megan's South node uh, or Megan's North node. So the exact degree of Megan's North node is on the exact degree of MGK's son. So both of their Mercury's and Megan's son are later in, in Taurus, but MGK has a two degree Taurus son and Megan's North node. Let me just get the degrees, right? Mm-mm-mm. Oh, wow. This is interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm sort of wrong, but not really. Okay. But so Megan's North node is at 29 degrees uh, Aries. So even though it's off, it's off by sign, it's almost exact in terms of like, uh, Wait, so it, what's her south node? So her south node is 29 degree, the last degree of Libra relationships. Her north node is at the wow. last degree of Aries. Meaning that really follows her trajectory so well because early it? on she was just kind of like appeasing these shitty directors like Michael Bay yes, and yes, yes. going with the flow and trying to be like the good girl. And now she's like, no, I'm saying what I want to say throwing darts as Dorit would say, which we'll get to like, yeah, that that's perfect. But why it's so, so this is interesting because it's an out of sign conjunction, but it's almost an exact conjunction. MGK's son is at two degrees Taurus, but because she has so much Taurus in her chart by her moving in the direction of her North node, which is actually to be that independent person to break away from the chains of the old relationships in terms of her career and Brian Austin Green and all these things that were actually not serving her. You know, North Node and Aries is like, find your, so yeah, do that twin flame journey work so that you actually become whole, so that you actually find yourself and you know, you trust your passion and you go my heart over everything, which is what she did. And then his son is right there picking up what she's putting down. The Dharma of her life is he's like sort of standing there after the finish line with a bottle of water, like great job, babe. And it brings her into her whole Taurus, uh, the whole Taurus energy in her chart, which also her IC, meaning the base of her spine, the midnight position of her chart, what feels like home to her is in Taurus. So it's almost like her whole journey, even though she's a Taurus, you know, your sun sign, you kind of have to develop into, it's not something that, you know, you think like, Oh, she, that's why, like when we look at our kids charts, we shouldn't be like, Oh, she's a cancer. We should go, Oh, she's a Leo moon or whatever it is, because Mm -hmm. the moon is who they are. As you grow into yourself, you become more and more and more of your sun sign. So it wasn't like, even as a kid, I wasn't like, as a kid, like, I'm just going to nurture the community. And like, I'm going to be a mother Mm -hmm. and a healer. But every, every year of my life, I become more and more and more cancer because as I learn how to do my chart and I become more myself, turns out I am really nurturing. Turns out a, a huge part of how I will be known and what people get from me is that I'm like moon mama, right? Whether I have children or not. So, yeah. so her, her IC, home, base of her spine, her son, her Mercury are all in Taurus, but she actually has been kind of stuck in this unsafe world of other relationships and drama and being abused and used and sexualized or whatever. So her, her, the product of her doing her Dharma, which was actually to break free of all of that brought her home to him. And he was that like beacon of light. He was standing there after the finish line going, Hey girl, 
I support you being you completely. And like, here's, here's a Gatorade. Good, good run, you know, good game. She got through the marathon of her life. Now, does that make sense so far? Yes. Let's go to our predictions for what is going to happen with them. Well, can I just say one more thing about the astrology? Yes. It'll be very quick. In the composite chart, which is the chart of the relationship, right? So two come together to become one. That one has a separate relationship. What I think is really dope about this, and when I see couples that have this, I think it's a really good sign. In the composite relationship, the chart starts, it's like a two degree Aries rising, which means that by being together, the, the relationship resets the zodiac wheel. It's like then the expression of the relationship is the most natural sort of expression of the zodiac chart, right? Because then that first that first house at, at two degrees Aries is like, actually, we're starting fresh. We, we are reborn into this relationship. Then it has the sun and the huge stellium in Taurus in the second house, which is stability, which is business, which is their bank accounts, which is home. And then this pulls their, their composite moon is in Gemini, so it's kind of like the soul of this relationship is union, is twins, is, is finding your other half, is having someone to talk to at the end of the day. And it kind of makes them both a little bit less tarn and more like we are safe together, not just like I'm safe or I'm not safe. It's actually we are, we are simpatico. We are the twins. So I get where you could look in the chart and say, oh, yeah, this is twin flames. So, you know, OK, predictions about the relationship, though. What do you think? OK, I think that this is going to be a brangelina type situation where they are going to remain super tight super close super interwoven in every possible way they're gonna have a child together at least one maybe more than one that's gonna be like Mm -hmm. their zenith and it's gonna be heralded as like the most gorgeous child to ever exist whenever Mm -hmm. it does come i think they're gonna they're not gonna get married until the 11th hour Mm -hmm. brad and angelina did and then I think, I do think they're going to break up at some point, but I think they are going to have a very long run. And like I said, I think, I think the the marriage is going to be at the 11th hour. Okay. I sort of feel like there, my take would be, there is no marriage. I see this being more of a, a Goldie. And I could Kurt. see that. I could see that. I, I think there is no marriage. I think it's going to be the kind of thing where their next talking point is like, we're already married in the soul space. And like, we've been married before. Like we know that on earth marriage is just a construct. Like, I think their, their like addiction to being rebellious, I think will have them rebelling against, you know, all of the, all of the like societal norms. So I think for them, they're going to pull the, like, we don't need to get married. That's we what Brad and Angelina so did. That's what yeah, Brad and I, yeah, but, but it got fucked up when they, when they tried to like make it a fish. Right. So that's what I could see that happening. I, I don't I agree think they're with ever going to do that. I think that's going to be like kind of the way that they protect their relationship, because also if and when they do hit a snag or maybe they do have a separation or a breakup, I think they always want that door to be like the problem with Brad and Angelina, for example, is like once you get married to someone and then there have and then there are real issues in the relationship, the next step would be to get a divorce. And so now right. they're in this contentious divorce. And like, there's the, there are these real hard lines on marriage, right? It's like, there's no, like we're taking space or, I mean, I guess people separate, but it just, it makes it much more serious to go, are you together or are you not together? And then when you're in a relationship like that, where it's so together and you've married each other and you've adopted the 90 kids, then when you break right. up and it goes to divorce, 
it becomes a way more painful. I mean, the way that Angelina and Brad have both described this divorce is hell on motherfucking earth. I mean, this has been a horrible divorce. I think that the way that they're going to safeguard their union, their twin flame union, whatever you want to call it, is that they're going to make it so that like if and when they break up, it's actually not even newsworthy. It's something that we might not even ever know about so that the door can always remain open. I could see that. I think that's right. Um, why? Next? No, what? I know it is next. Let's do next, but also just in general, like what, when both parties agree that a divorce is hell, how come they can't just both make it not be hell? Do you know Dude, what I mean? I have, I have had that conversation. I guess I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. And I think that like, I don't know. I, I guess to me, it just depends on people's attachment to the concept of marriage on some level. You know, I feel like when you decide to get married and then you end up getting a divorce, it becomes the, it, it's almost like it becomes the place where you dump all your shit and all your disappointments and all of your, you know, it's like, it's a place to be angry. It's a place to be angry. Mm. It's a place to stay angry. So instead of it being the kind of thing like, Hey, like, we had a long life together. I still love you. I still have love for you, but unfortunately this has to end. I think it becomes like, this is why we're divorcing you, you know? And then they use it to be, it's like, it becomes like a, you know, you enter the ring, you're entering like a boxing ring and then it becomes just like a mass to the death. Well, because also when you, I think also, sorry, what'd you say? We got to ask a divorced person. I think we could get a few divorced people on the pod. I know plenty, but I guess the other thing that I would think is that in the case of like Angelina and Brad, for example, this was not the kind of situation where like, from what I understand, this divorce is because she felt that Brad was abusive to her children. Right. And he would say, I was not abusive to the children. Your kid who now is my kid was acting unruly. And I was mother, maybe I was drinking, sorry, but I was motherfucking parenting him. And you don't agree with my parenting style. And I think in their relationship, he could say to her, I could, you have always put those children before our, you've been married to Maddox way longer than you were married to me. And, and so I think it's like, when it comes to an issue, like, well, duh. Right. Exactly. And and so then it becomes about like, in her mind, it's not about like, you know, protecting the sanctity of the family. She's like, we're breaking this family up because I, sorry, kids, I married the wrong dad for you and take it, erase it on your, he didn't adopt you anymore. We're un, it's like, she wants to undo it because she feels like it's about the, the children, whereas he wants to have it be peaceful because he has been raising, the, he thinks those are his children. But let's get some divorce people in the comments, in the chat. And if you want to come on the pod, we want to hear about your contentious divorce. Yeah, we really do. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion, part one. In the words of friend of the pod, Carrie Whitmer, she's a friend of Christmas News Pod, which is effectively this pod. (laughs) Uh, Happy Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion month to all who celebrate. (laughs) So this is the first of four. Uh, We are very excited. It was, you know, of course... Like whenever they drag out these reunions, usually they leave the real juicy shit to the end. But they actually talked about the Erica shit in the beginning of this one. So, Sarah, yeah, but there's got to be more. There's way more. They, they oh, were there's just so much more. I feel like what they I feel like what this episode was, was almost like a big like like prologue where it was mm-hmm. like, OK, there's obviously too much to discuss. We're going to touch on X, Y and Z. And then we're just going to we're going to just like slide into the most like easily resolvable sort of most. Sorry, I have to plug up here easily resolvable, most boring of all of the dramatic stories. And then they were just like, kind of like teasing what's to come. 
Yeah. So there is so much more stuff even to come. I think the big issue, the big story of this, this reunion episode was Dorit and Lisa looking like idiots, picking a fight with Garcelle, like so ill-advised, not only because she Beyond. is head and shoulders, most likable one, most likable okay. woman on this show by a long shot. Second of all, she's the only black cast member and you're going to gang up on her. Like, and third ever, of all, especially she's the right only one, now. she's the only one with a current actual active career. Right. So they were saying like, you just need us for like press. Or what did they say? Like you, you're, she said, you're trying to be relevant. Dorit said, you're saying these things to be relevant. Garcelle is the only one on that show that even if she wasn't on the show, she would be relevant. The other ones are right. literally not talk about projection. Garcelle is the only one that is relevant in our culture because of her career. She was in coming to America. She was in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like she has a big TV show now. She's in, right. she's doing, who is that? Oh, the reason that we knew about Nicki Minaj's lawsuit is because the first place that that woman went was the real yeah, like Garcelle is huge. She doesn't need to be relevant. She doesn't need any of these people to be relevant. And like Dorit and Lisa just look like idiots. Like we, you and I both never really watched. I've seen episodes of it before, before this season. Um, but we never really were fans of the show before. I started out this season really liking Dorit because I was like, she's really kooky. I love her clothes. I love anyone who puts that much effort in. I think she's really pretty. I love her space alien hairstyles. But now I'm like, you suck so bad. Like when she was saying Garcelle is taking jabs at her, it's like, no, she's not. And I, but you know what I think it is actually what's going on that none of them like white sensitivity. Right. Like, well, what's going on that none of them can say, and this is a theme throughout every franchise of real housewives ever is you always have to sort of whenever there's a fight where you're like, this fight is a nothing burger. There's nothing going on. You have to kind of say, what's the production reason for this fight, like behind the scenes. So I think what's going on behind the scenes is Dorit and Lisa and all the other women, they can sense that Garcelle doesn't like any of them and looks down on them because they're all ridiculous people, like deservedly so. Well, and they're just like these privileged white women with their white fragility and their white sensitivity cashing out on this franchise. Yeah. And she's like, uh, when she's saying, I don't really fit in here, it's partially because in her mind, she's like, you fucking idiots. You, You privileged little spoiled brats. Well, but also it's like, you know, you've said before, Lisa Rinna is a workhorse. Like Lisa Rinna worked her way up, like Dorit married into it. Like some of the, like, it's a mix of women who worked and who married in. And that's what makes me sad about Lisa and Garcelle not getting along because they both came up the same way. Like they both were just really hardworking actresses in like the eighties and nineties. But like, yes, I think what's going on and what they can't say is that like, they know that Garcelle doesn't like them and it, it just grates on them. And it's like, you got to get over it. Like she doesn't like you. And that's, that's that. Well, and, and also I agree. And speaking from a production standpoint, I think because the, the bachelor bachelor, LOL, also the bachelor, but because originally the housewives franchise, you know, it, it still is a very segregated franchise, right? Like there's like yeah. the black housewives and then the white housewives. And I think, you know, for, from, for New York and, Beverly Hills, they're kind, they're, they're trying to kind of integrate it. They're trying to integrate 
more uh, people of color in, in what they want to feel like an organic way. But I sort of feel like on the back end, it's a way for them to address maybe what people would say. Like, I think they like this because it, it is the most upsetting part of this whole season is just the whole like, I don't see color narrative. But I think yeah. having the women have these conversations in front of the camera makes it like not that the production were like racist assholes from the beginning. It's actually like, you know, they think that they're kind of demonstrating where this conversation happens in real life, you know, in real groups of rich people or whatever people. And they're, it's like kind of like they're a way, their way of addressing it outright instead of trying to pretend that it's not a thing. Well, I don't think these conversations are happening in groups of rich people in real life. I don't think they are. I think that's what I'm saying. I think that they're trying to show like, Hey, even if they don't, even if they're not really happening, they're trying to make it happen. Yeah, because there's a reason why these these franchises were also segregated and it's because rich people segregate themselves like they segregate themselves from people of different races, people of different income backgrounds, like they segregate themselves from people who went to public college, you know, like they don't. And that's why that's the unspoken reason of why it was all white on Beverly Hills and in New York until recently, you know? So it's like, I I think what's really going on behind the scenes is that they have like Lisa, Rinna and Dorit have some sort of like messed up white fragility issue with the fact that Garcelle clearly has no time for them and Garcelle's allowed to have no time for them. Like these women aren't actually friends. They're all just on a TV show together. Right. They were all hired to be friends publicly. And there's like a contractual amount of dinners that they go to. And that's what the show is. Right. And, and, and it's just like, so lame and such a miscalculation for Doreen. Well, like they tried to, they even tried to make the storyline like Garcelle didn't even know that it was Kyle's birthday. It's like Garcelle didn't even know Kyle. Right. Like why would she not a bad friend? Cause she doesn't know Kyle's birthday. She doesn't know Kyle. And it's like, they threw a birthday party for her. Yeah. Because they have to throw a certain amount of parties each season in order to get, to fill their shooting quota. Like, and, and they're like, Oh, Garcelle should be like thanking us. Like they are treating her so shitty and it's so like embarrassing. Rena with the pasta sauce is so the kidney girl all over again, which is like, you didn't thank me for as if that was like some heroic act to drive to her house and give her pasta sauce. She doesn't, it's the act of giving is enough. It's not about, well, you didn't even write me a thing. I have people in my life that are like that where it's like, I did this for you. Like, and I didn't even receive a thank you. It's like when you give, because you're giving to get something back. Right. It's like reciprocal. Yeah. Like, it's like, Rinna, give her the pasta sauce out of the goodness of your heart and feel good about it because you know she likes the sauce. You need her to say, hey, you guys, that sauce really meant, like, again, as if that was like climbing a mountain for her black friend. Like, I came all the way here and brought you sauce. It's like, bro, I was about to buy you a dog if you weren't going to buy it and I wouldn't have ever needed. It's like, give because you want to give and shut the fuck up. Right. It's like, also, Harry made the sauce. And what do you want, a fucking prize for driving it over to her house? Like, dude. And if That's someone like doesn't low level, basic, c- kind, nice gesture, but it's not like you went out of your way. It's like, dude, the sauce was made and you have a car. <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't believe that they're, that they're doing this. It's so stupid and ill-advised. And it's like, I don't think there's anyone on this planet who would have watched this season and come away, not rooting for Garcelle. Yep. Yep. I they're agree just being, completely. They're being really shitty to her. Um, I do you think that Lisa said 
the thing of why'd she bring race onto the show? It's not that kind of show. I do think she said it, but I don't think she meant it in the way that it's being portrayed. I think she meant it in this sudden ignorant way of like, I'm not talking about color. It's like, like, I think she it's it's kind of like remember when at the with the Petito case when you were super triggered like this is not about like you know white white missing woman syndrome it's actually about a person who is missing and that like mm-hmm. yes there is a place for the conversation about how many you know native american and black and and hispanic or latino cases go underreported or under uh you know undercovered that's a wrong word, but you know, and, and, but so it's, I think that they thought that they were having that kind of a conversation, not where it was like, why would we have a black person on here? But I think what they're thinking is like, like, that's not what I'm talking about. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you guys need to see in terms of the reflection for them. I hope they're all sitting back watching this season going, Oh, that is a problem in my life period, which is that I, as a white person think that I can separate conversations about color versus whiteness And even if there is somebody, even if there's a black person in the room, that's not what this is about. It's like, no, what you don't understand is for I'm always going to be Jewish. There's nothing about me. Even if I'm not a practicing Jewish person, I skip the high holidays. If I am in a conversation and something about my Judaism is present, it's not even necessarily because I brought it up. It's because it's a part of who I am. So in order to connect with me, there needs to be a a general uh, reverence for the cultural differences. And I think that's like a lot of what the, what the black community is in a lot of pain about, which is like this idea that like, okay, let's just turn that off for a minute. It's like at the end of the day, you can't. And so I think Lisa did say that. I don't think she meant it in an overtly racist way. I think what we're seeing is like this underlying like blanket ignorant racism that exists in them. And and I hope that they can see it and adjust. Like I do think Kyle was probably the most, honest where she said that isn't something that I thought about before and now I now I get that like that is an inherent thing that I need to be more conscious of that like this is not Garcelle's never making anything about race she is a different race I just like it's really weird because they're not that much older than us you know they're like in their 40s and 50s and it's like wait you never thought about this like my parents, my dad's 71 and my mom is 66. And we had these conversations growing up and my parents aren't like super woke. Like my dad is like full on conservative Republican. Like, and he still would talk to us about like understanding what racism is and the way that like black people are treated in this country. So I'm like, if you really truly didn't think about this until now at your big age, like you're a fucking idiot. You're just a fucking idiot. Yeah, but you know what? It's also like, uh, so I have a, she's, it's one of those people, she's not my aunt, but like she grew up with my mom. Like it's my mom's like childhood best friend. And like, they've sort of grown apart over the years. And this woman has a family and we, you know, so we were close to them, but also like my mother, like sort of hates her too, but it's like someone that's like in our lives. She lives in Bel Air. They made a ton of money and they have a ton of money. And she, like, I remember when the, all the black lives matter protests were going on and I the only internet fight I've ever gotten in in my life was my not my aunt but this aunt was her her level of ignorance like her level of victimhood that there were like there was looting going on in Bel Air oh. was like I couldn't not respond I I I had to be on record for like let me tell you something you know and I and I gave her a piece of my mind and and I think that 
it's not that they're not having the, the, I think it's that when they, when you're in a, a certain echelon of wealth, that actually becomes the world you're in. And I think that they don't, it's not that they do or don't care. It's that they have like blinders on to the rest of the world. It's like when you say to someone like, how could you, how could you be a Republican? How can taxes be the thing you care about? You're a nice person. And it's like, because at a certain point when you have that much money, the only thing you care about is number one, protecting your money. And number two, making sure that your lifestyle, like it's like, I paid to be safe. How dare they loot here? And it's like, oh, right. You really think that your money is yours and that that, that you can pay your way into being in this utopian world where other people just don't exist and your money and your status is the only thing and it's like it's a rude awakening but it's not but I think it's very common in just like super wealthy communities do you know what else I think it is I think it's people who worked their way up to that wealth they they really feel invested in thinking that they they that this is a meritocracy. Like the biggest myth in America is that it's a meritocracy. And it's like, one thing I like about the UK is there is no myth about meritocracy. It's like, right. That is what the Royals do. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, no, remember some people are just born into this. Yeah, exactly. And, and that does suck in a way because it kind of gives everybody tall poppy syndrome where people think like, like we talked about this before, how middle class is an insult in the UK, because it's like, you're getting above your station. Like rags to riches is not celebrated here. It's, it's still viewed as gauche. It's like unsinkable Molly Brown on the Titanic gauche. You know (laughs) what I mean? To to rise the social station. Great uh, reference that actually explains it really well. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's like, also, by the way, like my parents do have racial blind spots, like they are still boomers, yeah. but it's just for Kyle Richards. No, but you're so right, though, like this aunt that I'm referring to, like my, my mother and her grew up in what you could say was like the hood. And they would say like, well, we grew up with a lot of black people and we grew up with a lot of people that were of different races. And it's like, yes, but that doesn't mean that you have a sensitivity to it. And that doesn't mean you give a shit. It means I totally agree. It means like yeah. you think you got here. And so, so you're better than other people. And it's like, no, yeah, you made certain choices that got you here and you are lucky. And the thing is for Kyle Richards, Richards to say, I never thought about it. That's what's so fucking stupid. Like right. that's what kills me. And like right. my parents, they did think about it and they do have like opinions on stuff. And like, they still will say things that are, that are, make me cringe a little, but then for the most part that I know that they're in the right place and they're saying the right things and they're treating people with kindness and you know what I mean? But like to sit there and be like, I never thought about it before. Like you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be so embarrassed, let alone to say it on television. It is so embarrassing. But well, it's like, you should be so embarrassed. I hope that they are so embarrassed, but I also think it is a good, I, I like it for the sake of like, uh, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like they're, they're being made example. Like the housewives yeah. is such a popular franchise. And I think it does translate to like middle America and, and a lot, and you know, rich people watch it, poor people watch it, people, you know, it, it is a very popular franchise. So I think actually, even if we think, wow, this is so embarrassing, they are so behind, they should be nothing but ashamed. There are still people in this country who need that example. They need someone to say, I never thought about it. And I was wrong because a lot of people still haven't thought about it and are wrong. And so I know it, you're right. It's like, they, Right. It's, they're, they're sort of the, the the scapegoat in a way for like that ignorant they're, they're, they're bill 
billboard for ignorance and it's and it's pretty and polished and it actually gives people an opportunity to relate to them and not feel so because I think what happens too is when you realize that you're just like a fucking ignorant asshole you also have this pushback of like well no I'm not and here's all the reasons I'm not and I worked my way here and you know it's like no if Kyle Richards can say she's wrong so can you you're right you're so right and that was That was my argument when I went on Connor Behan's podcast and I talked about Real Housewives of New York City. And I was like, I think like having Ramona on the show this past season, she actually, oh my God, she had this, they went to a Shabbat dinner and she was like incredibly problematic. I can't believe I never told you to watch this. But like, I was saying it's kind of good that she's on there because we didn't all see and share the infographics last summer, you know, like, right. and even those exactly. of us, did, those of us who did already knew all that shit. And like the people who well, that's why I felt the need to comment on my aunt's really fucking cringe Facebook post, because the comments were all from her community, which is like, you're so right. Get them out of here. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, there's gotta be someone that at yeah. least gives them a piece of like, yeah, they're not sharing the infographics. In fact, they're, they're sharing the wrong infographics and they're, yeah. it's like, I, I, they needed someone to come in and go, Hey, for the record, here's why you're wrong. And here's right. a perspective that you are not getting. And so if it has to be me that is fighting online about this, the one time I did the only internet fight I have ever engaged in, but I had uh, to, I, I had to always in internet fights. I have to hold myself back, but yeah, it's like, I think it is important to see them, to see this, the spectrum of like ignorance online. And, and if you are still part of that to slot yourself in and be like, yeah, like you said, like seeing Ramona at that dinner and being like, Oh, here's how I can explain to my mom that she shouldn't act that way. Here's right. how I can explain to my aunt that she shouldn't act that way. Like, or you're like sitting there and going, Hey, check out the reunion so we can talk about it. Hey, go watch right. the reunion. Let's discuss. Cause if, if you got rid of all the problematic women on all these franchises, then it would stop hitting the people that actually need to see what it looks like from a third party. When you are that much of an asshole. Like you need to have that being played out so that those women can be like, oh, I did say something like that once and I didn't realize it came off so badly. You know, like if we actually yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel better. as embarrassing to relate to Kyle Richards. Right. You go, exactly. oh, I'm like Kyle and, and, we, and we were wrong. And then you can improve. Yeah. Did you think, I thought it was really funny how um, they, they called back to Sutton and Rinna talking about their two kids, Amelia and Porter, like how Amelia's, or how Porter Sutton's daughter was like, maybe Amelia and I can have a play date. And Sutton was like, I don't think that play date's going to happen. And Rina was like offended by it. I thought that the implication was like Sutton was being self-deprecating. Like she was like, my daughter dresses like Paddington bear. And Amelia oh no, no, I, I didn't No, No, really? I, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Finish that sentence. No, I was just saying she, they, they're just in such different genres of person. Like, I didn't think it was a diss against the Rinna family. I think it was just her being like, my daughter is not like this L.A. kid. I definitely think it was a diss against the Rinna family. And she was saying my daughter's on L.A. kid. But because Sutton's whole rant before them was basically saying, like, I raised my kids specifically to be sheltered, to be nerdy, to be mm. like I, she was like, I didn't want my kid to be this. So I made it so like, so she's going, no, they wouldn't be a match because Sutton didn't want an Amelia Gray as a daughter. Mm, Okay. And I think she was attacking or not even attacking, but I think she, you know, cause Sutton's interesting. It's not like Sutton is coming from this, you know, Rinna is a Hollywood 
person. Like she, she just cut her teeth in Hollywood. She got the big lips before anyone. She started trends. She is the ultimate Hollywood party girl. Even on the show, Rinna drinking is like a whole celebrated. She's like the party girl of the gang. Right. Did you ever see her cameo on Entourage? No. Oh my God. It was before Housewives. And I was, I rewatched Entourage during lockdown and I actually, it was very fun. Highly recommend. And she pops up as this like old cougar. It's really funny. You should watch it. I'll find, I'll find the episode. So let me throw this out there because number one, my client just messaged me. She's running 15 minutes late. So that's great. Oh, second of all, things work out. You know, I'm looking at the charts of Rinna and Garcelle together. Okay. And I just, I want to bring this up because I think it is, I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like it. Again, these are women that are born in different years. So when they have certain things exactly conjunct or connected, it isn't like, oh, well, they were born, you know, a few months from each other. It's like, no, this is a, this is the story of both of their charts interacting. Rinna has her moon in Pisces conjunct, meaning in the exact same place as her Chiron. So when you have Chiron moon conjunction, it means that on a soul level, there is like a wound that at the end of the day can also become your superpower. It's like she can become a a, a healer of people. She can. She actually is really Rinna. She is really sensitive. She does really care. But she also on a soul level has a sort of chip on her moon moon Chiron conjunctions are hard because it sort of feels like like hole in your heart, almost like feeling of of. like I'm just so wounded in the area of that's what's so crazy about her. Cause she's so likable sometimes. And then right. she just does these things where you're like, why are you burning all the goodwill that you accumulate just by being yourself? Like, where is this shittiness coming from? Unless I'm just naive and she's actually just shitty and the good parts are the fake part. Well, I mean, could be both too. I mean, it's like at the end of the day, again, a possum and cat, we all have a shadow familiar and a, and a familiar like light familiar. Right. So I think with Rinna, it's like, she's really sensitive. She does really care. She does have a deep desire to be a healer to be. And it's in, it's in Pisces. Pisces is like the highest love. It is God. It is source. It is arts. It is the arts. It is, you know, it is psychic ability, but because that Chiron is there, you know, she also can be, make missteps because whereas a, a normal Pisces moon might have the ability to just be like, you know, super, super mystical and psychic and tuned in her Chiron there also can have her operating from a place of, of wounding before anything else, if she's not super conscious of it. Right. So instead of being the healer, she becomes the wounder or she's so, she feels so wounded. And so like, like Rina, when, when she's bad, it's always like, Rina, why do you think you're the victim here? Rena, why is someone being mad at you the worst thing that could possibly happen, right? So what's interesting to me about this is it's exactly conjunct, meaning in the same place as Garcelle's Saturn, lessons, structure, boundaries, uh, you know, sort of difficult learning moments. And Garcelle's Saturn is exactly conjunct her, Lilith and Chiron. So it's kind of like, like in Garcelle's they push chart- push each other's buttons- they, they push each other's buttons. And when you see in any chart, when there is a Saturn moon connection, either it can mean that this is like a really, no matter what, it means that this is a serious relationship. It means that there's some weight on the relationship. Sometimes you see it in like married couples because it's like, oh, this person gives structure. This person gives boundaries and gives sort of rules to my soul, right? I, I, it sort of cages it in. But at the, at the same time, what it can also mean is that like, 
you know, Rinna's moon and her sense of security and herself. And, and then that accidental, oops, I'm not sensitive. Oops, I was a dick. Oops, I'm actually like a, a, a herder, not a healer, is hitting right up against Garcelle's Saturn. Garcelle's, Garcelle's Saturn, her sense of inner boundaries, lessons, structures, the timekeeper is also there with her Chiron and her Lilith. So it's almost like she has this Saturn, this, this lawmaker that she's, it's almost like she's here to like break rules and reach her being the black person on this cast and being like, Hey, you guys, let me teach you all the hard lesson. It is a sort of Lillian themed lesson because she's like, I don't give a fuck what you think that the the conversation about race on this show should be. I'm showing you what is. And it hurts me that I'm in this position, but I have got to advocate for the part of me that you guys are ignoring. That's Lilith. And with her Saturn there, that is her cross to bear, right? Now, her Saturn and her Lilith and her Chiron are talking to Rinna's moon and her Chiron. So it's going, hey, sorry if this hurts. Ultimately, it could lead to healing on on big levels, not even just between the two of us, but in terms of the collective. So it's really an important, it's an important head-to-head battle that, that we are watching play out. But really, it's like when a moon, even without the Chiron there, but because both Chirons there, it is super sensitive. But even without the Chiron and without the Lilith, when you have a moon Saturn conjunction in a synastry chart, it means this relationship is here to teach you some real deal soul changing lessons. And so we're really seeing that. The other thing I think that's kind of interesting is, again, they were born in different years at different times. We have uh, both of their, let me just make sure this is exactly correct. Okay, yes, we have both of them with their Mars, that planet of fight, the planet of triggers, the planet of, you know, like, I will stand up for myself. They both have Saturn's, I mean, they both have Mars in Virgo. So it's like, when you have Mars in Virgo, it's like what you give a big fuck about is perfection and doing the work to perfection and doing the work in a way that is functional and forward moving it's like they're both they both have this it's it's Rinna's lips it's like they want to be the editors of their they're triggered by editing or they're moved into doing things by trying to make things perfect that's why Rinna would also be hurt where someone was like you don't like the way I parented you don't think my kid is the coolest my kid's the coolest right and and for both of them why they're so triggered by each other aside from the fact that their triggers are staring each other in the face their ideas that they're coming from of what it what perfection is is different. And so why is Rena so triggered? And can't we just squash this? Can't we just put it away? It's because like at the end of the day, her Virgo Mars is like, I don't want this to be my storyline. I don't want to be on record as have, as being someone who, you know, was like hateful or ignorant or didn't try or didn't care. And Garcelle is going, you are bullshit. You have no idea. If you're not actually going to take the time to listen and understand and give me the space that I need, we're going to be in this battle. You can't, yeah. you know, they're trying to out Virgo Mars each other. And it's like, at the end of the day, the only thing to do in that case is to go that opposite Pisces route and go, Hey, we really need to squash this and come to higher love. But it has to be when we both have a reformulated idea of like what perfection looks like, which is not that like, we just don't even talk about the hard things. It's actually that we work through them and create a, a, a fruitful, you know, there's, there's fruit that comes out of the labor of this conflict. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I, I, what did you make of when she said, when Rinna was like, oh, Harry, th- everyone thinks that you're really sad on the show and like Harry does too. Because I was thinking like 
the reason why if people are picking up on that, it's because she does feel like an outsider and you guys all keep telling yourselves that the reason why she feels like an outsider is not because of her race, but like clearly it's because you guys are all acting like you're all in one club and she's in another and it doesn't really matter what the reason is. But like, if you do have something that makes you different from everybody else, of course it's going to weigh on you when they're not treating you like the same as them. 100%. I mean, I think that what that is, is Rinna's moon Chiron conjunction in Pisces, where at the end of the day, her soul and the things that she thinks she almost doesn't totally feel confident in. So for her to go, somebody else saw it. Somebody else saw it. Is like yeah. she's trying to legitimize something that is not act- in, in, in the name of that Virgo Mars fight that she's in, where it's like, yo, that's not the conversation that we're in. It actually doesn't help your case. It doesn't make any difference other than to maybe just be a little bit meaner than you're trying to be. Right. Yeah. So it's like she was actually trying to go, look, even if I'm batshit crazy or even if I have this thought, Harry had this thought, too. Like she's kind of like defaulting to him because there is this core sense of herself that is wounded and that is not soulless but that that definitely has moments of moments of the wounder instead of being the healer and so I think she was just trying to make it I think she was like still trying to argue a point that she can't quite understand isn't actually the fight that we're in anymore yeah yeah I think also probably what happened whenever she did say the thing of like she's whenever she said to a mutual friend Garcelle's bringing race into it and that's not the kind of show it is I think she probably was like, we're not, we're not having drama because of her race. It's because of something else, but it's like, okay, but you're the onus is on you to see why she might interpret it that way. Rena. You know I mean? Like you, even if you feel personally that it's not a race thing, like you need to look at why that is coming up because it's coming up for a reason. Like she's not just quote unquote playing the race card as someone shitty might say, you know what I mean? Right. And it's like, and actually specifically, she's not playing the race card. She just is a different race. And that's where the larger, it's like, you guys have to know playing the race card. It doesn't exist. Now here's something phenomenally interesting. Rinna and Dorit have remarkably similar charts. How so? They both are Pisces moons. They both are Cancer Sun, Cancer Mercury's. They both are Cancer Venus. They both, uh, so they both Whoa. are really representing this Cancerian energy, which we know on the bright side is very maternal and loving and nurturing. On the dark side, it's deeply controlling, deeply protective, caring a lot about keeping that outer shell hard. And because they both have those Pisces moons, like these are two deeply watery, sensitive women. And all they can do is to try to control the narrative. Their their Mercury's in Cancer are like, even if it seems like I'm walking sideways with this Mercury in Cancer, I'm just trying to survive. Like they both have a survival thing going on that yes, even though they are privileged, obnoxious white women, what's going on is that they feel like they're fighting for their lives here. And it's interesting too, because just what I said about Rinna goes for uh, goes for Dorit too. Now Dorit's Dorit's moon is in a little bit of it's at zero degrees Pisces. It's I mean Rinna and Garcelle are having an exact conjunction between Rinna's moon and Garcelle's Saturn, but still, there it's the same exact thing where where the soul of Dorit is coming up against you know no. Garcelle's Saturn, and it's like it's like Dorit, you are missing the fucking point yeah. entirely. Like, do you know what I think it is? Fight. 
when you say they have a survival thing in them, that's what I see them picking this fight with Garcelle as because they're like in the world of housewives, you can be a protagonist or an antagonist or one could argue all you can be is antagonist they're all just antagonizing each other so it's it's almost like the two of them are like i need a storyline to to stay relevant in this franchise and like everyone likes garcelle so if the two of us just beef with garcelle there's a storyline and we've earned our paycheck and it's like yeah but at the same time like you look like assholes like and you're picking a really stupid fight and it looks like it's actually hurting garcelle's feelings and it's again making the two of you look like monsters so well, and actually in, in, in that survival TV, instinct it's hurting more than just garcelle's feelings it's it's hurting every black person or person i mean even with with yeah. crystal it's like every person of color watching Beverly Hills this season is like, it's like punching them in the stomachs too. Like when you play the, I don't see race or we're not talking about race card, you're actually then ignoring the person who you're ignoring all the, you're going a huge population of the globe. I mean, it's so bigger than, but it's interesting because it's like in, in their charts. So they both have all cancer with Pisces moons. They, they are protecting themselves. They are so sensitive. Their feelings are really what is driving the, the train right yeah. now what's interesting about garcelle is like the only thing that she has in cancer is the asteroid series and it's retrograde series is like the ultimate mothering asteroid it's like the ultimate sort of like i'm gonna it's like the it's like harvest it's mothering so she actually is what garcelle is doing for both of them and it is uncomfortable but she's basically doing the work of reparenting them mm-hmm she's going like, Hey, this is the tough love lesson, but mommy's got to tell you, you're both wrong. And I'm going to sit here with you until you learn this lesson because this is bigger than just us. And like, what's even the argument? Like it's so typical Beverly Hills. And is the reason why I don't usually watch Beverly Hills. Like the, you can't even put your finger on what the argument actually is. Like why they're actually even mad at each other. Well, I think that the, the argument is, so it's two different things. I think with Dorit and Garcelle, the argument is Dorit feels like Garcelle is telling her to shut up and doesn't really like her, which it seems like everyone's telling Dorit to shut up. She sounds, she seems like she might be boring as fucking rocks. And she she's a is, bore ass, as they say in Delco, a bore ass, a she's boring a bore ass. She is lucky to be on this show because she really, truly has nothing going on, brings nothing to the table, offers almost nothing, is also having financial problems that we are not talking about. And honestly, the best part of Dorit is her fucking husband. Yeah, he's really funny. I like him. I like him. So that's the thing. Dorit is is sort of... So the fight there was that she felt like Garcelle didn't like her, which you know what? It would be totally fair if she didn't like her. And she felt like Garcelle was taking digs at her, which whether Garcelle was or not, it seems like everybody on this show is taking digs at her. So for her to, her racism is, her, her, you know, her, her blind spot racism is just showing where it's like Garcelle's ganging up on me. And it's like, they're all, even Kathy Hilton told you to shut the fuck up. So no please. one likes you. No also one likes like, you. To say, to talk about um, like, the whole you need to be in a fight to have a storyline and to to stay on the show. Look at Kathy Hilton. No drama whatsoever. And she's the fan favorite this season. Now, that's not like long term. That won't work. She is going to have to beef with someone at some point if she wants to stay on the show. But like there are a lot of housewives in the housewives pantheon who like Luann is notorious for being Switzerland in New York. Like she never fights with it. You don't need to have fights. Like if you're an interesting enough person, you don't need to be like constantly beefing with someone, you know? Well, and actually I don't think that Kathy necessarily has to have beef with someone because what Kathy's role in this show, I think is very specific, which is that she actually is like 
she has come in swinging. She is the comedic relief. Yes, like, if you're comedic she is, relief, she's you the jester be- of the show. Sorry, what'd you say? Yeah, if you're comedic relief, you can you don't have to be drama. Also, yeah. she's actually got money. That is like a crucial part of it. And that's the right. Reason- and going to her house does put the women in their place because they're all like, oh my God, Kathy's 30 butlers. Oh my God. It, right. it, it she actually is the she the only conflict she has with them is that actually when we peer into the lives, she is just better than them in all the things right. that they care about. She's a real, real housewife. Like the, the unspoken thing about all of these shows is none of these women are actually what they say they are. Like they're all like grasping to become what they say they are. And 1000% actually kind of is that. So like, well, that's also why Kathy is like at the end of the day, even if I'm on the next season, she said there, you, you're not going to get me holding a diamond in the credits. That's what she said. She said, I will never be in a quote unquote. The fact that she's on this reunion, but not as an official cast member is, is a Kathy flex. If I've ever seen one, because she's like, I'm not, I'm not one of you. You're lucky I'm here. And so I don't think she has to beef with anyone. I think she's showing the perspective of, oh, I don't need this. I'm bored and I'll just come be funny and I'll be, and I'm so rich and I I could take it or leave it. Something else I really liked was all the wild words. They were saying, I liked Sutton saying that her shop has been growing excrementally. And I was really proud of (laughs) that's of erica, so funny so funny of erica being the only person who caught it and they showed erica like making a face like that was the one minute i liked erica this season where i was like Whoa. that's really fucking how funny. did andy not correct her it seems like it's ripe for jokes like what is it just shitting money like what, what do you mean excrementally i know well i think he i think he didn't correct her because he's like the producers are gonna find a way to do a little wink to show that we're in on it you know right right um, and erica played that but right erica did it erica gave him yeah. the face and they were like lol and like Andy probably also made a face, but like they make because there'll be a lot of reunions where Andy will be like, huh? and that's the that's the joke. Like he'll they'll just show his face like Jim from the office. And like so like the fact that Erica filled that role was even better than Andy doing it. And then um, incessive Dorit said. And my favorite thing, this is really important to say because it was such bullshit um, when when Dorit said passively provocative. Because oh, she yeah, meant- that's such a fucking yeah, yeah. Go ahead. She meant passive aggressive, but she, she meant knew- passive aggressive. Yeah. The one thing that she internalized was you're not allowed to call black women aggressive. So one hundred percent. Right. That was that was, again, her like blanket racism showing where she's like, well, I, cu- I can't call. I can't use the word aggressive with a black woman. So she actually just made up a phrase that does not exist. And that everyone now has to say over and over provocative. That is like so fucking stupid. There is no passive productive. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Space Trash Lifestyles of the Rich and Uranus. Leave us, like, rate and review. Come on. you got A lot of people have not been doing that. Do it. Thank you so much for listening. And only thank you, really, if you leave a review. Yes. Uh, okay, bye. Space Trash. Trash in space. Space Trash. Lifestyles of the Rich and Uranus. Space Trash. Celebrities, they're trash. But the astrology can help us understand Transmission incoming. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.